So last week we talked about three hormones that were sort of what I consider the survival trifecta, like you're staying alive. So we talked about insulin, leptin, and ghrelin as they relate to um, survival, reproduction, and maintaining the homeostasis of the body in the, of knowing when to eat, the appetite, appetite stimulator and turn off. So now it's time to eat and sleep and it uh, switches those off and on because we wouldn't know how to do them otherwise and we would die without the ability to do that. Then I said this week we're gonna be talking about three more very important hormones in terms of our body composition and what we look like. And those hormones we're going to talk about today are going to be thyroid hormone, or the hormones produced by the thyroid gland, the uh, hormones produced by the adrenal glands, with an emphasis on cortisol, and then the hormones, uh, the sex hormones, which actually one of important sex hormones is progesterone, is actually produced by the adrenal gland, and the, but we're going to kind of be calling it estrogen. So we're kind of talking in general, thyroid, stress hormones, estrogens. Now, the reason we're gonna talk about these is unlike the ones last week, these are the ones that determine a lot about how you feel. So mother nature's running the other ones because you have to live to reproduce and if you don't reproduce, you might as well not have existed in the realm of mother nature. But we do get our free will here, so to speak, that helps us live on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And these hormones are incredibly important to how we function in the context of our environment. And we have quite a bit of control over them. This isn't to say that they aren't related to the other ones because insulin in particular, because it determines how um, the energy is to be stored and used, runs all the cell functions, and we'll be talking today a lot about running the cell functions. So first I'd like to just briefly review that we talked about what you test in someone's blood is the transport, and it isn't necessarily what's inside the cell, because you have to have a good cell membrane and good receptor um, ability, so you could have resistance in a cell, and therefore something could be circulating in the blood, but the cell wouldn't know about it. And the cell can test, text message the brain and say, we're having this problem. And then the brain responds with other hormones to change your behavior. So the most obvious example being insulin is that if insulin can't get into the cell, then sugar can't get into the cell or glucose rather, which is what the cell wants for fuel at that time. If that glucose can't get into the cell, then it doesn't matter how much sugar is in the blood. So your blood test would show you have way too much sugar and your cells would say, we have no sugar and we're dying. And you need to think of it as like air to breathe. So the cell is literally suffocating in a sea of oxygen, which would also happen to us. So we have to have this mechanism of transporting oxygen to our organs because we can't do, you know, just leaving a cell in oxygen just will immediately kill it. So we have to have all this machinery of dealing with our environment, which we do. So it's awesome. But 
as we talk about these three this week, these are the things that have crept up on us that we have control over, but actually it feels like we have no control over them. So we will start to see a lot of individual differences. So for example, when we talk about stress being from environmental toxins, there will be people who say, I cannot give up my cleaning products. I cannot give up my coffee. I cannot give up my cosmetics. I cannot give up this, that, or the other. And the good news is that you don't have to give up everything because we have the ability to deal with it, which is why we have these, these hormone systems in the first place. The bad news is you can't just keep piling it on and expect that it's not going to collapse under the cumulative weight of the burden of just waiting in line. Like we had talked last week about the trash being taken out of the waste. So how to think about these? Well, of course, we have to start with a little story so that everything is put into context. And I like to think of the thyroid gland which determines how much energy is available to you. There's receptors for thyroid hormone on every, all cells in your body. So it's universal like glucose, we all need it. And in your, if you were a car, it would be the gas pedal that determines how fast you can go and everything else would be, determined, be determining, again, the resistance or how it works is if it's not getting into the cell, or it's not getting the cell could be used is it's all the parts of the car. So for example, the tires, if they're flat, are not going to go no matter how, you know, they'll go, but in a very uncomfortable ride. So the rest of the car is the rest of your body and the gas pedal is just setting the overall tone. The adrenal glands, which manages our stress response, they're sort of like your battery or your turbocharger. So if you're, you have a gas in your tank and you have a gas pedal, that's fine. But if there's no spark, you're not going anywhere. So the adrenals need to provide that spark, but they also can provide backup warp speed. In a situation of emergency, you could drive really fast. So it accelerates the accelerator, so to speak, which just like a car is not a good thing to do. <laughs> In the long run, to drive really fast, you crash, and then you have to put the brakes on, and then the brakes wear out. So it puts too much wear and tear on your car to be going in turbo speed all the time. Unfortunately, in a car, if you go in turbo speed, then you um, are going to uh, burn a lot of gas, but it doesn't happen that way in the body. So you burn a lot of glucose and you might like throw your muscle tissue in. This is what we talk about during our flat tummy mummy classes. We say, oh, it feels so good to be burning calories, except if you're in stress mode. So if you're in the turbo mode, what you're burning is your muscles and things. So like everything's going into the fire because there just isn't enough time to feed the nice flow of coal. You know, so it's a very bad system for burning calories. Does that make sense why that would not work at that time? Is that relation, like I say all the time, about the, if you're in stress mode, you are burning calories, but you're breaking down good stuff to do it. So it's as if you're starving. And also it's perceived as stressful because your brain goes, what the hell are you taking apart your liver and your kidneys and your glands and your muscle tissue for? When you, what are you doing? Are we dying or is there a lion? What's going on? So your brain is perceiving that you are in 
dire straits. You are just, you know, ready to really lose it here. So the um, final gland we're going to be talking about is going to be the thyroid, uh, excuse me, the uh, sex hormones that come from, for, from women, they come from the sex organs or, or they come from our ovaries. Male sex hormones comes from their testicles. But interestingly, we tend to think of them in terms of sex, but they also per go, they're involved in other growth and reproduction. So anti-aging, like staying fertile, and uh, they're the sort of day-to-day -day sex thing. So I call that the heater in the car. It's a luxury, <laughs> but when it's really cold outside, it doesn't feel like a luxury <laughs> at all. So it's what makes you hot in a good way or a bad way. And the problem with sex hormones is their uh, imbalance of those can really throw off the balance of the other ones. So you don't want to run your heater at the expense of the gas or the battery. Because you know what happens if you run it off the battery, eventually your battery dies. And then when you put your foot on the gas, you don't go anywhere. So we kind of have an overall picture here of how these could fit together. And let's just start with, um, you could start on any of them. But uh, I think it's really important to say that it, it's pretty clear because of the environment that we live in is that most women, even by the time they're teenagers, have pretty severe hormonal imbalance with these three hormones. So they are experiencing too much stress on their system. And the word stress is a word like hips. People think, oh, my job is stress. That they say stress is a feeling of, I feel tired or stressed out. So we talk about stress as what we, as a feeling. And it is, that is one of the meanings of the word stress. But the real meaning of the word stress is, is a stressor. And it is anything that tends to push your body or pull your body out of homeostasis which is, I tell you, like what we're looking for is that homeostatic hum, where you're drifting from side to side, and you don't go on the shoulders, and you're not worried about falling off the edge of the cliff. You just bounce against one side, and you drift back towards the middle, and you stay, and you see the road ahead of you, and that is where we would like to be. So, I don't know, about 10 years ago, Robert Sapolsky, who's written a lot on stress, probably most of anybody since the guy who first coined the word, wrote a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It was really good. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It was my first experience that a smart scientist could tell stories, and that is actually a lot easier to remember. So Robert Sapolsky had a big influence on me, and I read the book, and I had no idea what he looked like, and then I saw him, and I was like, oh my God, he has wild hair just like me. <laughs> so he totally looks like a mad scientist as well. He has like this big, huge mass of gray hair back in a ponytail with sometimes he has this big bushy beard like this big and he's very intense and he talks very fast. So I was like, okay, we're twin sons or daughters of different mothers or whatever. But he did really influence me with this and I'll never forget the story about the zebras. And this is important to how we figure out how stress works. So the reason zebras don't get ulcers, which is what he was saying is a breakdown in your system where you actually have a disease because of your stress, is because the zebras are prey and uh, uh, 
prey animals out grazing and their um, strategies for survival are to be in a group and to have stripes and be able to run fast. And because I like horses so much, of course, I always want to know it looks like a horse, but it's very different than a horse. And it's very different than a horse because people are always like, well, why don't we ride zebras? And the reason is zebras are territorial and horses are not. So that's just a little fact to throw in there is zebras are a lot nastier than horses because they are not nomadic, so they don't just drift around like a horse does. They stand guard where they are and they will chase off things that invade their territory. But they don't get ulcers, and they don't get ulcers because when the lion comes, the lion sees all these stripes and can't tell one zebra from another. But the lion's strategy is to pick out the weak zebra. The zebra's strategy is to have all the zebras look the same. So the zebras all go, lion, lion, lion. And they see it with their eyes that, remember I said like the vision last week? So a zebra can see in back of them their blind spots actually in front of them. So they see all around, lion, communicate to everyone. Everybody hears like, nah, lion. And the brain goes to the adrenal glands, which are teeny tiny little pea-sized things up here that have a lots of layers. But there is a direct Batman line, the red telephone line that goes from the brain with a wire to the very center of the adrenal gland, which makes adrenaline, which we call epinephrine, and norepinephrine, which is also called nor noradrenaline, sensibly in the rest of the world that uses the metric system, but you know Americans. So we have to be different for no particular reason. So it's the adrenaline comes from the adrenal gland, which would make sense. And what does adrenaline do? It is boo, boo. Okay, your turn to the noise, your heart starts beating, your blood pressure picks up, your eyesight tunnels in, you take a deep breath, and you're ready to go, go, go. Okay, you have stores in your blood right now. We talked about them, insulin made sure of that. So you have the money in your pocket, right? The, in, the first insulin, the wallet, the sugar that's in your blood. It goes into the fire first with this. Start running on that. Then you have the glycogen that's in your muscles and wherever you're running, you know, it's using them and it's gonna start burning them up and the liver's like, get it out there, get it out there. But at the same time that this happened, the brain sent out a radio message, right? So there was the hotline, but at the same time, the brain sent out a radio message to the adrenal glands and said, there's a freaking tiger coming after us. It said boo, and then your brain doesn't really go, well, the tigers say boo, are you sure it was a tiger? It's like, we're gonna, we'll figure that out later, but right now, we, all we know is we're running, we're getting ready to run like this, and you better be ready for backup systems because after 20 steps, we don't wanna stop running and just be eaten because the first zebra that gets eaten, as soon as that happens, then all the zebras just start grazing again. So. We're going to talk about what happens with that is because they know, okay, no need to run now. That's why they don't get ulcers. They don't worry about things that don't need to be worried about because tigers don't kill one and then go after another one. It was plenty of work, or lions. Lions are so lazy. 
and they only, the females kill anything anyway, so they kill it and then everybody comes in and eats it in their order and their stress is who gets to eat the good stuff first. But once you have one, your work is done. You don't go playing hunting zebras because they kick in the head and stuff like that. And plus it's not fun to run around. Um, they don't have much, uh, their adrenaline has seen the zebra and they're getting their own surge to eat. Okay, so what does this mean for us? What does this have to do with flat tummies and running? Well, stress, again, is something is this perceived threat. Our brain is blind, remember? It isn't making any sense of this. So when we feel the boo, when anything is like alerts our attention, like is a concern to us, or we're um, exercising because our brain wouldn't know what, what, what why are you running? <laughs> What's chasing you? I can't see it, but it probably is there. Otherwise, I can't think any reason why you would be doing this. Because if you don't have a mood in you, like where you're playing ball and you're feeling happy, and your brain's saying, oh, you're running around because it's so much fun, okay. But if you're running around but it's not so much fun, it wants to know what's, what's, what you're running from. It doesn't know. It just assumes it must be very bad. So you're having this cortisol which is the wireless coming from this area and a little bit from this black area, which is the mineral code. The, the adrenal glands are going to start to put out something that gives you enough time to get to shelter, to climb a tree, whatever it is that you need to deal with the problem at hand. So Sarah Gottfried, who is an OBGYN doctor, she wrote, she's writing great hormone book. She's really getting famous now. Her books are pretty good. She calls this the big switcheroo, which is we probably feel this because our brain can't tell the difference of what should be stressed out. Again, it doesn't know the difference from emotional, mental, somebody yelled at you. All of this, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate. It's just a threat. It's just a general feeling threat. And what happens in the big switcheroo is that first jolt, which we also get from coffee, that you feel like, whew, I'm ready to do anything, doesn't last for very long. So it's Batman, you know, to the rescue, and then the city has to clean up the mess. So the problem is, is that that adrenaline rush lasts for about 15 minutes, and then the cortisol, even if you just get the one big rush of it from there, lasts about 90 minutes. So for 15 minutes, you feel great, like cocaine, then you, then you get, you might start to be feeling great, but the people around you can already see that it's coming. This is where the irritability, the mood swings, the tired and wired feeling is. So you reach for something else, something to eat, something to feel better, uh, something to stimulate you to recreate the feeling that you just had with the adrenaline. However, the problem is, is that there is no lion. Okay, so we are liking the feeling of the boo the roller coaster, but we don't really like it when the roller coaster runs off the track, which is what's been happening with us. So when you have chronic stress, which isn't hard to imagine at all, because who doesn't get another stressful event within the next 90 minutes? There's always some crisis going on. So what the zebras would have done is after the crisis is over, they ran, so they got some exercise. They burned off the cortisol, so it's metabolized. Um, then they go back to eating and they go back into parasympathetic mode. So their fight or flight is over. So what do we do as women? 
It isn't over. It didn't even happen. So it's unresolved. We didn't move. We don't burn it off. The threat is still around. There's new threats. We're trying to prioritize these. And on top of that, they're just discovering, well, you know, maybe women are different than men. Because this fight or flight thing, which we, which all humans, all animals that have a sympathetic nervous system have, but just put yourself in the place of an adult human woman. She is likely to be pregnant or have a baby or have children. And when something is threatening her family, she can't fight or flee she needs help. So a huge part of the stresses in our life, which would you can see are not a boo stress, but a cortisol stress is, do we feel connected? Do we feel connected to our community, to our family, to our children? Because this is a biologic imperative for a human woman, because it's survival. And even more than her survival, it's survival of her children. So we can't ignore this as one of the strongest threats that we encounter. Even if women don't have children or they don't feel it, they can't fight their biology. So it's in there of a need to feel connected. And we get connected on many different levels, which is why to us we're interested more than men are in like what celebrities are doing. Because we know that they're not real in this part of our brain, but in the part of the brain that keeps us alive and surviving, knowing people and saying, oh, I know you, I know you're... That means life or death for you or your children in times of crisis because they could help you. They could help you with food. They could help you with protection. They can help you with stress. So when the presence of female hormones would come from this, in the presence of the soup, when you put them together, the soup tastes different if you put salt and chilies in it than if you just put chilies or you just put salt. You get a different mixture. So when we put that together, our soup tastes different than the man's soup because in the presence of that, there isn't just fight or flight, which we wouldn't do. There is a very much a need to tend and befriend and to feel that those are always being looked after. So that's what they call what's happening we're studying now in the female um, hormones. So if you feel disconnected, you're going to get fat because you're going to feel really stressed. So it's just really that simple. And where is your fat going to be stored? Right where you can first use it, right in your middle. Okay, right near your organs, right protecting all the vital stuff. So um, the fat that is prepares you for a baby, and we'll talk about estrogen dominance, and it might be too much there in your saddlebags, more than you need, but that fat tends to be the pear-shaped fat but it doesn't affect your health. So if you look at um, the health of women that have a small waist and like a spread like the Ponderosa, we call them, which is probably only you know what I'm talking about with that. So that was a big show called Bonanza about a ranch and they called a big ranch a spread. So a spread like the Ponderosa would mean your butt is huge. And- That's estrogen dominance. Huh? That's estrogen dominance, That's estrogen dominance. Yes. Sorry, Grant. I, just the pronunciation. So, so, so we're different also with, I guess, the estrogen. And it's spelled different, I noticed, O-E here. So we say estrogen, okay? Um, and so uh, I'll try and listen better for that than in the future. So that doesn't create health problems. It only is, a, or that's not associated with health problems. 
because it the thing that's creating the health problems isn't probably the fat that's here it's the thing that makes the fat get deposited here which we'll talk about how all these things can add to that and that's what flat tummy mummy is all about is having someone come in like I had someone come in last week and she's very fit and she works and she doesn't have much on her adipose layer but she's very thick still through the middle and has gone through a lot of these things to try and get rid of it uh, but has been unsuccessful basically for her whole life and says it's, you know I guess it's my genes it is her genes but it's her environment acting on her genes it always is so let's look first to the thyroid because I actually believe this has been a big part of spiraling this out of control in terms of what we're eating and then we're going to look to the adrenals as to what we're doing and then we're going to look to estrogen or estrogen or estrogen dominance which is an imbalance of what we're exposing our bodies to okay so that's going to be our framework for these so why would thyroid be about what we're eating okay well it's become a big catchphrase so lots of women feel like they're hypothyroid they have these hypothyroid um, symptoms which means their fuel isn't the gas pedal won't go down you're in a you go you're pushing it you're pushing it you're pushing it you're pushing it and everyone's passing you that makes you feel stressed anyway so you're you know you're going as hard as you can and you feel like what the hell I'm gonna just get out of the car and push it or run I can't even live in my body anymore because it is like a shell that is burdensome to me that's what it feels like to be hypothyroid sluggish large cold not much energy like you can make energy and then it just kind of goes away really fast um, no matter how much you you know how much you work it you can't get the fuel feeding your cells so this is what's happening is there's fuel there but it's not getting it's not moving the car it's there but it's not running things so you're pushing on the gas pushing on it and nothing's happening so we're gonna just say in a minute what happens then is you go I I've, I'm done with all this turbo <laughs> so you immediately go to the backup system because you're now late for work and you're already stressed anyway and the turbo is gonna go off whether you push it or not and that's what we do with the turbo all the time so we're going to do that but we still are having this problem with the thyroid what is going on that the thyroid isn't working well you can have two things you can have the thyroid is making thyroid hormones and I don't really want to go into a whole lecture on the thyroid hormones even though they're very very interesting I'm gonna hit sort of the highlights as far as how your behavior can influence this now if you go into Google you will find thousands thousands tens of thousands of articles on thyroid thyroid health thyroid medicine treating thyroid all these blogs should I take armor should I take synthroid you know, all of this stuff and so I can answer questions about that but let's just stick with the basics here so we figure out what's going wrong because I think most of the time there's one thing going wrong so in the world thyroid was caused thyroid problems which are well known 
to anyone who does reproduction is because you live in a place where there's not enough iodine. Guess where they don't have any thyroid problems? In the olden days, Ireland. Guess where they have lots of them now? Ireland. Okay, and so we're in this great place where we get to discuss the, both the things that could happen to the thyroid right where it was here. So you're surrounded by seaweed, surrounded by seawater, ate some fish, poor people could do this, throw seaweed on it or something, you get plenty of iodine. You get iodine, your thyroid is adequately iodinated, it is using the, um, it is using that iodine, that thyroid hormones all have iodine in it, so you're adequately iodinated, so you're not not having a problem because there isn't uh, gas in your gas tank, okay, which is what the what the thyroid gland needs. It needs iodine. So in today's environment, um, iodine has dropped precipitously. And it's dropped precipitously because of a few things. So what we used to know was that there are places all over the world where uh, it was. this is the main cause of mental retardation and the babies would be something we call cretins. Now we call you know, cretins means you dumb doo-doo head, whatever. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you can't think, you're big, you're thick. And that is what, those are all things about cretins. They look different. They don't just have, or be very slow. So sometimes that those would call be like the village idiot. Has anybody ever heard that expression? Yeah, we so the, them off the road. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they're cretinous for sure. <laughs> um, so the village idiot would be you, who you could see. So you would know, you'd know they look different as a child. Like they don't look like Down syndrome, but they have a different look like a child that does have Down syndrome. So you can look and know they were not, they were gonna be very slow and then they would grow old and still be very coarse featured. And um, the, because it can't be, uh, the brain has this big need for iodine during development. So if a mother has a thyroid problem or a goiter, which is a swollen uh, thyroid where the thyroid keeps trying to get bigger to catch, like have a bigger net for more iodine. So they get like, I see people on TV with them sometimes and I feel like writing them a letter going, do you know that you're hypothyroid? Cause your neck is like. Does that go down, Teresa? Uh, no, that's why it, it, it'll go down a little bit, but it, 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 it will go down but you, it, will, it will sometimes stay. So in a hyperthyroid state, it can swell, but you can see that people will be, this is called a goiter. It looks like a sock you're wearing around your neck. Thyroid means shield. It's like this, it's like this right over your Adam's apple. It's like gels. Like, she's like a collar. Yeah. It's like a collar in the front. Yeah. A little bit, it's shield shaped, so it's a little bit like a butterfly. Yeah. It looks like a big fat butterfly. Like a butterfly made out of that squishy stuff. Like a butterfly made out of squishy stuff, like a stuffed ant, you know, beanbag butterfly stuck on your front of your neck. Okay, so, but when you have a goiter, it gets like a tube. The gland swells up just because it's trying to get more iodine. So in an attempt to get more iodine. So we used to call these places where there wasn't adequate iodine because they were far from the seashore, which is where the iodine was coming from, which is where human beings evolved in this 
uh, hominids evolved from our ancestors with this bigger brain because you need two things. You need those omega-3 fatty acids that we talked about and you need iodine. And they were present in the shellfish and so even they, they look like humans species as a differentiated species developed in an environment called the Rift Valley in Africa where it is naturally extremely abundant in those two. So as we learn to use our hands, our brain grew bigger to accommodate that. Now we have this big brain, but we're not adequately fueling it. So we have the genes, but we don't have the nutrients. Does that make sense so far? But we have our brain is saying, yeah, well, I need gas. What the hell did you put in my gas tank? You know, you're saying go, and do you know there's Kool-Aid in there with, you know, a little bit of petrol smell. And so we're going, but we're going like this, and it keeps cutting out because the gas is so low quality. And you're like, yeah, well, it gets me, but it doesn't get me. So I'm hyperdriving, you know, it's like uh, just the rocket fuel goes on because it just eats your body and then basically burns it. So we will go when we need to. All of these things work together. That's the whole point of this is they're all working together. But every article looks at them individually. Like what pill do you take for this? But the story is they all count and they're all contributing to the belly fat that won't go away or the getting to menopause, the infertility or the getting to menopause and it, it, there's no graceful baton hang off. There's a huge body composition change. There's night sweats, there's sleeplessness, there's bad feelings and there's a lot of back fat no matter what you're doing because we haven't, we don't have a healthy body to make our reproductive wellness history lasts through a lifetime. Then we have another generation of moms who have an empty pantry and they're growing a baby without any of the ingredients. And we're having cretins. They don't look, this is not Down syndrome. Are you following me? Down syndrome is an extra chromosome. You have it or you don't. This is not, this is asthma. You have asthma, but you don't look like you have asthma. You're not the one in the hospital, but that doesn't mean that that's not where the problem is. This is what we're having with the iodine right now, or the failure to have our body prepared to grow a baby brain from scratch because our pantry is got fake ingredients. And it's even worse because we look and see boxes and it's like, you know, Connor came in and ate it all the way down to the last inch and you open it up and you're like, what did you put this back in the cabinet for? <laughs> so you think that you have what you need, but in fact, it isn't really there. It's the one square of toilet paper left on the roll. So you, you think that you're in good shape, but it turns out when you need it, you're not in good shape after all. So these cretins came from not enough iodine. So if you look at World Health Organization literature, it will say the main cause and the main preventable cause of mental retardation in children is um, iodine deficiency and the main cause of hypothyroidism is iodine deficiency. About eight, ten years ago, they divided it up. There was a study in America and they found that 90% of the hypothyroidism is from an autoimmune disease where your thyroid gland is attacked by your immune system and it destroys your thyroid gland and it's inflamed and destroyed. And it was a disease that we hadn't even really known about. It was an obscure Japanese name, Hashimoto's thyroiditis. 
which Japan has an interesting thyroid because they have lots of iodine and things there. So this disease is actually, if you give iodine while it's being inflamed, it's like throwing gasoline on the fire. So if you're having an autoimmune disease, so this is kind of interesting as we come the noodles in Japan. So as you enter, there's a point to all this, okay? So as the Japanese began to develop an autoimmune disease, having a lot of iodine wasn't a good thing. It was a bad thing because it throws gasoline on the fire and burns your, burns your thyroid gland up even faster. So they were the first to describe it because they're like, oh my God, it burns up and then it's no thyroid. You have these periods where it's flaring and it's just going up and down and up and down. So mostly it's a hypothyroidism, but it can have these intermittent periods of hyperthyroidism, which resemble the more, much more rare situation of having too much thyroid, which is also your immune system attacking your thyroid, but just a different kind of cells, and that's called Graves' disease. So when you're hyperthyroid, your gas is running out of control. The gas pedal is stuck. Your heart is beating fast. It's skipping beats. You're hot all the time. You're sweating all the time. You feel like a sense of panic and your eyes bug out. So that's sort of the, and the thyroid, because it's hot, it swells up too. So it's not a goiter, but it will still be enlarged. So what happens with that is if you're really, really sick and they get you on the beginning part, they give you poison and kill your thyroid. Isn't that nice? Or they take it out surgically. Now you have one because who needs a thyroid gland, right? Yeah, they remove it because it's could give you a heart attack by running, you know, stuck gas pedals, pretty dangerous. So they go, okay, well, we have thyroid medicine. So don't worry, you can take the bus for the rest of your life, even though you don't live near a bus stop there probably will be one. So don't worry, we'll just take it out and we'll deal with that tomorrow. So they take it out or they give you chemo poison, radiation, and radiate your thyroid and kill it. So now you're not, your heart isn't beating practically at all <laughs> because they're really not very good at figuring out how to kill off most of it. And even when they do, the inflammation, once it dies down, just leaves ashes. So what's left after the inflammation is doesn't work very well either. So what they found is if you let it burn itself out, it burns itself out. And one of the main causes of hypothyroidism is to have been hyperthyroid. And probably that's what Hashimoto's is, is that you just burned it out. And during these spurts that just went on and off that you can look back and women say over time is like, well, I couldn't quite tell. So I went in, my symptoms weren't right because they alternate. Okay, sometimes they feel this way. Sometimes I'm hot, sometimes I'm cold. Sometimes I feel like my heart's beating too fast and skipping a beat and I feel anxious. And then sometimes I feel dead. But they aren't, isn't in their mind. That is actually their sticky gas pedal, not knowing when it's gonna go and when it's gonna stick. Does that make sense so far about what's happening with this? So we are gonna get back to iodine because it's super, super important. But in the world, there were these goiter belts. That's what they're called, goiter belts. So like in the US, you know, we have the Midwest. It's far away from either coast. And so the US decided that uh, people, the, what's the one thing that people need to live and that is the best nutrient that you could have and is absolutely essential? Salt, of course. Salt of the earth, salary salt, you know, Salt. Everybody eats salt. We used to preserve every piece of food. We didn't have refrigeration. We put it in salt. Salt was gold. And 
Everybody salted their food. So you say, put iodine in salt. Cretinism solved. Guess what we don't do anymore? Eat salt, because salt is bad for you. Even though it's not bad for you, it is good for you, but it's devitalized salt, so it doesn't have all the minerals in it, and there is no iodine in it, and there is no iodine in the Celtic sea salt or the Himalayan pink salt. That's not iodine there. That's the other minerals, like magnesium and manganese and selenium and many, many other micronutrients. So white pourable salt that you is what we eat and that got iodized is, uh, is nice and pretty and white and doesn't clump because it's all bleached of all the impurities, which they then package and sell to you for a lot more expensive than salt. So it's a win-win situation if you are the marketer and people are dumb enough to do that because they could just take the original Himalayan, any salt with color is mineralized and it usually comes in chunks because it sticks together. So we don't have a taste for 55, 85 minerals. We just have a taste for salt because salt is supposed to come in a rock with all the rest of the stuff with it. So the problem was solved because people ate salt. Now people don't eat salt and most of the salt we eat comes from processed food. And guess what? Processed food doesn't use iodized salt because it doesn't taste quite as good and it's a little bit more expensive. So people are avoiding salt, this salt. The most of the salt they're getting is in processed food that's packaged. It doesn't have iodine in it. And then on top of that, someone wrote an article that even though it was grossly inaccurate and has been proven wrong, apparently changed the world. So they said, you know, iodine could make you sick if you got too much of it. So it used to be that they developed all the bread dough with iodide. It was a dough stabilizer. So any bakery good you ever got also had iodine in it. And what they did was they took the iodide out and they replaced it with bromide, which happens to be an industrial poison, but what the hell, you know? So instead of something that was in food, it's been re uh, replaced. And then they said, oh, people are getting tooth decay. So, oh, we have another industrial poison around, fluoride. And apparently if you give that to people, then they don't have cavities for a few years. And then when they get older, then their bones fall apart and they have all these cavities. But we'll just put in everybody's water and just do the one year study and poison everyone. So the problem is with the bromide and the fluoride and the iodide, so you have bromide, fluoride, chloride, poison, 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 stuff we need. But in the body, these are in a family together and it's like a mafia family where you have one good guy and the rest of them are all bad guys and you can't generalize from the one who came out. They're mostly poisons and we needed iodine and it is still an iffy thing. You could get too much but we definitely need it as a human for our brain. But those other things, they're all poison. And when we put them in, they're byproducts of industrial processes. And because they are byproducts, you have to pay money to get rid of them. Like a compute, you, you can't just, you're not allowed to dump it because it's called toxic waste, unless we're paying for it in our water supply or in our bread. So the bread is all brominated now and the water's all chlorinated now because we don't like bacteria. So it used to be healthy bacteria and things like that would filter and cleanse your water. No, we want no germs. So we put in bleach, which kills our thyroid. So bleach is one of the things we'll get to as a household product. 
that is a thyroid toxin because of the problems it has with iodine. So does this make sense how these, you know, remember we talked a little bit about the receptors and the getting confused? We're gonna talk a lot more about that today. So I'm starting off with the iodine, which is just one single mineral, that the body has general strategies. It doesn't have a specific plan of action for each thing all the time. It looks and says, I know you, and this is how we deal with you and it tends to deal with them in the same way. So if you look familiar to them, then the same thing happens. And that happens whether it's the immune, immune system saying, I'm gonna shoot first and ask questions later because you look like an enemy, or if it's the good things is like, oh, you look like a nutrient we need, come on in and we're gonna store you. And then they go, oh, you did not turn out how I thought. And there's no easy divorce, okay? So in Ireland, what happened? Okay, well, most cultures that don't have much money have a, a substance existence and also large populations. So when you look at what to feed humans, remember we talked about this with the insulin, is starch is flavorless, cheap, easy to store, doesn't rot the same way, and easy to sell and usually easy to ship, all right? So everywhere around the world, usually where there's a lot of people, they and the government has something to do with feeding them. So it might be an orphanage or a prison or the army, but it can be just your own government who is lawfully supposed to take care of you, but they're only there to prevent hunger, not to nourish you then we start to live on starch. And I love this because Rome did exactly the same thing. So in this is like, they call it bread and circuses. And this is exactly where we're leaving right now is the people are sick and you just keep denaturing the money and feeding them bread. And then you say, don't worry now, we'll cook the bread so you don't need a kitchen anymore. And you become completely dependent on the government who feeds you this false food and false money at the same time. So in Rome, their uh, coins were called denarii and they were 100% silver. And then as each of the uh, rulers would come along, they would put lead in the middle and then less and less and less silver. But all the people are running around going, look, I got silver, because it looks silver. And it turns out that there was nothing in it and then Rome fell. And they also fell because they were very poorly nourished. So then as diseases hit like malaria and stuff they started bringing from China and Egypt to feed all these people that they could no longer feed because that's what happens in an empire, then people became malnourished and they were not able to exist with the diseases. So everything comes together. It's never one thing. But anyone who's interested looks, and when you look at the one thing, it's such a super interesting thing. You say, do you know what really caused the fall of Rome? This one thing, and it's never that, okay? In the Bible, it's like the one story that you can have, but it's supposed to be represented, an allegory. There isn't one thing, and there certainly is never one thing in our body. So in Ireland, even though it was relatively new, Ireland was hunter-gatherer. There was generally a good amount of food to live off of that required no starch because this is like the garden of the earth. So you could have lots of plants and animals and there was fish. and So you could just eat off of the land here very well. Then they started to farm and you could eat all those things there. Then governments came in and Ireland became the growers of potatoes and other stuff for mainly England, but Europe and things like that. But they were slaves basically. 
So they weren't slaves like we think of slaves as being owned and black, but they were slaves because they had no other choice and they lived a substance that meant if you didn't do this, you would die. So they went in and they grew potatoes, which is a starch. And potatoes are much more nourishing than grain. So in the rest of the world, we have wheat, barley, rye, millet, rice. South America, there's cassava, which is sort of like a sweet potato, and yucca. But they actually have some serious uh, toxicities associated with them. And the one in America was corn. Very, very serious toxicities associated with corn until you learned how to cook it. So people would go, there, they're cooking with corn, and then they would use it, and then everyone would die. Your, and cassava. So, so these other starches, so the grain, the cereal grains, like those grass seeds, if you know how to cook them, they're they were safe. Yeah. Okay. And then rice is a grass seed that grows in the wet, you know, the shoots out of the water. It's safe. Actually, sorry. You know the cassava is. Do you know velvet crunch? Yes. They're actually made out of cassava. That's great. Yeah. So it's like a sweet potato yes. relation. It's a tuber. Okay, now corn isn't a tuber. It's actually another grass seed, but it's very, very poisonous because it blocks vitamins. So it has lots of anti-nutrients and you have to treat it with lye to strip it of that. Otherwise you get a bad disease called pellagra and you get your skin gets lesions all over it and you get crazy and you get all these GI problems. So they call it the 3D. That's from eating corn as your staple. So that was what we had in America because we had corn. So we fed it to people, but we didn't do it the way they did in South America because, I, why do I know all these stories? Really, is it really point? So when the explorers came over, it was all men and they went to other men and they just, the men told the men what to do and they never looked at what the women were doing and the women were preparing the corn and they go, you know, you don't need to do all that. You could just cook it and then eat it. <laughs> so after many generations, all the women knew in South America that you can't just do that. You have to make like um, the cornmeal, the tortilla, the, you have to process it and strip this hull off. Mm. Otherwise it's poisonous. Mm. But they didn't know that and they just kept saying, but it tastes just fine, mm. which is what our food is right now. It tastes just fine, but it is poisonous. Our brain does not know the big, di there's a difference between filling your belly and nourishing yourself. So we have signals for both of those. So it doesn't really know we could eat that because you can't eat corn off of a stalk, right? So nature didn't give you any means of t saying that that wasn't food. Anyway, the important thing for Ireland is, no, no, they just don't think women know anything. I don't think that that, I don't think it was that men are idiots, it's that they just, assumed that the women liked to make work for themselves because they had nothing better to do with their time. <laughs> like they just said, oh, you just guys want to get together for a chat and you're pretending like you have to grind stuff like this for hours at a time. <laughs> just because otherwise you came and was like, what did you do? Oh, I ground and ground. Yeah, really. All you just wanted to chat and to complain to me about what you had to do all day long. <laughs> <laughs> so the um, so in Ireland the starch became potatoes and potatoes are relatively easy to grow especially in Ireland and uh, they have like a season where you plant them they don't require much tending and because potatoes are really nourishing if you eat a lot of them 
They have lots of vitamin C and vitamin A. You have to eat a kind of a good quantity. You could throw in a little bit of other micronutrients and because Ireland was full of them, even though they sent the food off to England during the famine, so people starved, you could still eat herbs and, uh, you know, uh, the pudding is, was from blood. You could steal some blood without stealing the animals and things like that. So they did, um, they did very well on potatoes for a long time, and potatoes were a lot more nourishing. However, it's an island where people are genetically very similar. So if there's a problem, it tends to be more concentrated than you would see in a larger population. Does that make sense? So Japanese would be the same way as Ireland. And so one of the prob one of the problems it's not it's a problem now it wasn't a problem then is something called the Celtic curse which is hemochromatosis which means that you overabsorb iron compared to the norm but not compared to people who never get any you know because they were poor you lived if you had hemochromatosis because just a little bit of iron. You know, a little bit of blood, black pudding every once in a while would be give you enough iron to last because you don't need but a little bit. And uh, sunshine was the same. So you have this white skin, plenty of vitamin D, not too much clothes, just don't have dark skin. Doesn't matter that it's dark for a lot of the year and many days don't get much sun. Does that make sense so far? Um, it's converted. Vitamin D comes from the sun in your skin from cholesterol. Cholesterol is in C animals, so plenty of cholesterol, and eggs, plenty of cholesterol. So vitamin D is not a problem if you're eating the diet that would have been here. So when you're eating the diet that would have been here and you're inbreeding basically the way that you would with pedigreed dogs, then you're concentrating certain genes and losing other genes. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I think that probably one of the reasons we see the gluten problem which we're coming is that the starch that was dependent for people living off and thriving off of was potato, which has nothing to do with cereal grain, especially once the cereal grains changed again. So what I found is right away, that, and then we're starting to see this, is the problem with gluten, intolerances, sensitivities, leaky gut, remember we talked about that gluten for everyone causes the door to open for a brief period of time? that the door for Irish people probably stays open for a longer period of time. And it lets things in and out, like the flies, you know? So, and then you have to deal with that. And some people are going to deal with it better than others. So now we get to the thyroid problem. It's looking more and more that Hashimoto's thyroiditis is a gluten, is celiac disease of your thyroid gland because gluten looks a lot like a thyroid. So if you looked at the protein, so to the body, the shape, it looks very, very similar. So the immune system is going to attack the thyroid to the exclusion of other cells. It also has some crossover in the brain, and we know that it loosens tight junctions in the brain, so that we are seeing celiac disease causes neurologic problems, but it takes a lot longer, at least 10 years. And you have to look over you have to look at people, they're looking now, looking at old blood where they could see the antibodies and things like that and see what those people died of and how long their life expectancy was. And now we're seeing that the neurologic things affected people to a much larger extent if they have gluten antibodies, if their immune system was uh, attacking gluten. But it looks like from the new data that the cause of hypothyroidism now is 97% 
Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is just unbelievable considering it was basically unknown as, as a problem. And it was a, unknown because the wheat was very different. So 40 years ago it changed, and 40 years ago we're starting to see some of these things that come up, and they're gonna come up more in certain populations. And medicine is far behind this because we are using, we're being taught by people who are taught a certain way, and all of our new information comes from drug companies. So we have to focus on wellness for these, for um, moms, or the women that we're taking care of, is it's come back to that women to take care of their own wellness and that of their families. Because you cannot count on the government who's supposed to be feeding us and the pharmaceutical company who's supposed to be treating us. They are doing their job. And we're putting all of our womenly efforts into making them do a different job. And it will never happen. You're not gonna put McDonald's out of business and then not have somebody else come in that's just McDonald's again. Because where there's a need, it will be filled. So if governments, if you're paying taxes, if you, if you spend all of your time trying to get the government to do certain things, you might as well just do it yourself because they aren't going to do it. Because there's a whole lot of money and graft. They're covering the bottom line. That has nothing to do with wellness. That has to do with not dying. And not dying is not enough. It's getting away from the zebra that wasn't even, I mean, the lion that wasn't even a lion at all. So we jump and we react to it, but it was just boo. And we get all excited and then we put all our energy and effort to this and what do we do? We neglect ourselves, our families and our communities and there's no one left to take care of them. Because we keep saying, well, if we just push the government or give the government more money, they'll turn into good people. They're not good people. They're not bad people. They're not people at all. They are an industry, just the same as any group of things. There's good things about it and bad things about it. But they are an industry. Religion is not, religion is the church, but it is not spirituality altogether. So there's good things about it and there's the drawbacks of any organization with a lot of people that runs like an industry, science, pharmaceuticals, anything like that. So you can't make the church make people be holy. You can just create a structure where they want to be good because they're exposed to other people in their community and they're looking to each other and supporting and sort of monitoring. And that's the best you could ever expect for the government. And when I went to Rome, then what you see is the Vatican and the, is the biggest government. It's, there's, Rome invented government. They had government with their whole republic and everything, and the Vatican is so governmental, even though it's the church, I couldn't believe it when I went in. It's just run that way, and it's very efficient. And London's banking. People, these countries, you know, they get good at what they get at, at, their, at their government, and America made a lot of food, okay? We changed the world by being huge food producers. And now we are shoving our bad food on everyone who is used to it. So there won't be food if we don't keep giving it and we just keep growing more and more and it's more and more nutrient deficient. Does that make sense? We can make it there in our machines where people worked 24 seven, never stop. We just keep churning it out and churning it out and putting it in a pretty package and watching who buys what. And then we say, that works, and we ship it off and people do that. And then we say, oh, there's people starving. And we go, okay, don't worry. We have the trash that's left over from making that. We'll just send it off in a bag and feed them that. It's really no different anyway. 
The trash isn't that much different than what was put in the pretty package. The pretty package doesn't have nourishing food in it. It just has more attractive food in it. Does that make sense? So it hasn't taken much time for this to happen, and it fits in well with human physiology because food producers are now our parents. They make, prepare the food and teach us how to do it, which is now to be a home economist, to be a smart shopper. That's what women, we are not gathering, we're gathering groceries now, which are all prepared. Okay, so food preparation means pop it in the microwave if you feel like cooking or just pop it in your mouth if you don't. Does that, mm -hmm. okay? It's all prepared, every step of it's prepared, you don't have to clean it up, it's wrapped. In packaging, that's poisonous. So again, we go back to Rome. One of the reasons to follow the Roman Empire was their packaging was poisonous. It had lead in it, lots of it, and we can find it. And it was very expensive because it was much nicer looking. So the rich people were using it. And now we have lead in our products and other plastics and poisons that are leaching out into our food, which is what one of the things that we're talking about with toxins now as we get to them. So that wasn't the only reason that Rome fell, but it is one of the important things because we can look at their bones and see there's lead inside everyone's. And they weren't using lead paint like we use, that wasn't the lead. The lead was in their vessels that they made to make them look nice. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. it's clear. It's beautiful, it's clear. It's the clearest glass you can have. So it couldn't have lead in it. Lead is gray and opaque. No, that's the problem. It's the invisible things that are the problem. Okay. All right, now we're going to run through exactly what these glands do. So I'm starting with the thyroid because I believe that's what's happened with the thyroid that is spiraling this. Any one of these, there's an entryway, like a big park. There's the back door and the side door and the front door, and they all have their own difficulties and problems, but you can find your way into this imbalance through any of the three legs of the stool. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, let's go to thyroid first. Thyroid is your gas pedal. It allows the fuel to get to your cells and tells you whether you're running warm and happy and lots of energy or you're shut down. If you overdo things, then the adrenals start to have to take over. And one of the things they do when they take over is that thyroid has its own little built-in mechanism to not let you waste gas, like the size of the tubing. So there's actually, There's actually a whole bunch more T's, and so they go, oh, they do nothing. So in a few years, we're going to find out what they do, and they won't be doing nothing. But for right now, we know what these do. So T4 has four iodines in it, and it is an inactive form of thyroid hormone. Thyroid has the, basically, like I've said, that negative feedback is it goes up, and then it hits the wall like a thermostat. The temperature goes up when it hits a certain level. It kicks off, falls down. When it hits a certain level, it kicks back on. Are we okay with that? Um, where we run into problems is the size of the room of your thermostat. So if you can imagine if your heater is here and your thermostat is over there, there's a longer delay. So the room can get much hotter or more cold if you're not functioning well. So what you wanna do is not have it right next to it, which would mean it wouldn't work at all, but you want a slight delay, not too close, not too far away so that the room can adjust. And that's what you want in your body too. Does that make sense of the thermostat? Okay, 
So uh, T4 is basically storage. Okay, so you're ready to go. You fill up the tank, you're gonna go for a little ride. Okay, so you have gas in your car and you're ready to go, that's your T4. And then T3 is what's being fed through the line. So T3 is what the cells can use. So if you can imagine that, um, you know, when we look at this, the measurement that we're measuring is this, this is the lab test, TSH. That's actually what the thermostat says. So if you can imagine, no matter what's happening in your house, they just keep going, yeah, but the thermostat says 76, and you're going, but it's hot as hell in here. It's cold as the Arctic in here. And they're like, yeah, but your thermostat says, you know, says this temperature. It's just one measurement and it's only telling you know, whether it's turning off and on. So your thermostat might be looking, appearing as if it's functioning, but it isn't about how, whether you feel good or not. Is that clear? Okay, so the, they're testing this level, which isn't telling you anything about what's happening with these. So in addition, then they go, okay, well, we'll test one more. And they test this. And just so that you know, it's like gasoline has to go carried along in a carrier. Otherwise, it would spontaneously combust. Are you aware of that? So you can't have certain kinds of, you can't put certain kinds of stuff in your gas tank. You have to have gasoline. So gasoline is plus binding globulin. Don't worry about it. It's protein that makes it stable so it doesn't spontaneously combust. But now, again, for gasoline, can you sort of understand that you could adulterate it? So if you have a whole bunch of this, and just a teeny bit of this, but you're only measuring one thing up here, the amount that fills up your can, that it doesn't really tell you how much of this is available. Is that clear? This is these problems with lab tests. So when people say, but my lab test said. Lab tests are useful information, but they don't give you the whole picture. This, so we would call free T4 is what would be available to be used. And it converts to T3, which means it loses one of the iodines, which means it now can fit through the door of the cell. Like one of them has to leave, you're not invited. T3 can go through. Remember we talked about receptors last week, right? Yeah. They need to be able to do this. Well, here's the deal. There's this, the thyroid, which we've just discovered has this funny little backup system. This is where we get into a little bit of the carbs and the, the cycling has a funny little backup system here called reverse T3. And it says, you know, you're going a little bit too fast. You just, that was a red light you just ran through, you know, come on, we don't have to get there. We don't have to die. And it will start to say, if you're running too high, it will block your receptors. So the receptor takes the reverse T3 and it goes, ha ha ha, we're gum. Go out and find some peanut butter or something. It's gonna take you a while to get this bugger out of this receptor. So the, T, the reverse T3 sticks and stays for a while. And what it does is it makes your blood tests or your things like this TSH, it makes it look like everything's running fine, but it's going, you know, why you're just not to be trusted right now. So we are going to put this on while you heal, while you hibernate, so it slows things down without altering the blood tests. Are we good on that? So this is the problem. All the literature, all these things that you read are what you might see from the perfect health diet that isn't even on human beings is using all of these things one at a time because they don't ever look at soup because soup is too hard to measure and everyone's tastes different. And so they don't measure soup, they measure ingredients because they can only look at one thing versus not that thing and in a dish, not in a person. So then you go, okay, well, sometimes it's not in a dish, it's in a rat. And I'm like, 
Yeah, but it's in special kinds of rats, the ones they breed for 30 generations so that every one of them is a clone, so that they'd all be the same. So they're not even a regular rat. So like one of the things that would happen with a rat, my favorite rat story is if you take a lab rat that's been bred and does all those little mazes and everything and they go, oh, we give them stimulation and then they do so much better. And then you go out into the street and you get one of those big fighting street rats and throw it in. It turns out that that street rat has a way bigger brain, is much smarter than the, the rat that was stimulated. It's just like 20 times smarter than the one who isn't stimulated. So do you know what all the research says is that you need to stimulate children with all of these toys because that will develop their brain. Or you need to sit them in a classroom and teach them because that will develop their brain. But in reality, we know that the original experiment said playing and being out in the real world develops your brain 10 times more than any stimulation you could have. It's just, we looked at that was good instead of it's bad to have a deficit. So it, they said, this is good. No, that was bad. And they didn't compare it to what the real world was, or they just forgot to add that in. So this is the problem with these lab tests all the time, which is why we don't even need them. Okay, we need them, but we don't need them because they can really goof you up and the doctor's gonna look at them and just prescribe something that is based on one of these numbers and not necessarily on how you're feeling and not knowing too much about Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which can ex go up and down because it's relatively new. So we had someone come in the other day and said she has Graves disease. I bet um, dimes to dollars she has Hashimoto's and she was tested at one of her flares. She doesn't look like she's ever had hyperthyroidism. She looks heavy and cold and got dry hair and thin, dry thin hair. She looks hypothyroid. And she's like, oh, I'm off meds. I'm like, nope, you just have a dying thyroid. Right. And she's like, well, I went to booty camp and I did the elimination diet. And, you know, we started off with the no gluten. And then after three weeks, uh, I added it back in and it gave me terrible stomach pains and everything. But then I just kept eating it and the pains went away. So I thought everything was great. And I was like, yep, that's what happens. Pain goes away. Pain in your joints. Um, pain, you know, thyroid tests, uh, cramping, diarrhea, whatever your symptoms are, they go away because your body says, well, you don't actually care anyway, so what's the point? These are alarm signals. I'm, you're supposed to actually be paying attention to them, and we're not going to waste energy on telling you to just keep yelling. Are you awake yet? Are you awake yet? Are you awake yet? It gets really old really fast, so the brain just says, forget it. So that's why the symptoms go away. The problem didn't go away. The symptoms go away. So I would, as I said, I bet that's what she has. And so all these things that she's doing, which causes, by the way, Hashimoto's thyroiditis is associated with no stomach acid and anemia because you can't absorb iron anymore. So it's all related. And all she needs to do is stop eating gluten, but she won't. I'll guarantee you. So that won't happen. Anyway, that's her problem. And everyone has to come to it at their own time um, and in their own way. And they have to feel like there's a good enough substitute. So we planted the seed of doubt, which is, could I have potatoes? And I said, and rice. So she can find her way through getting well. First step is the only one. You don't need to convince people. You just put it there. And then you go, I'm going to walk away. And you can come back anytime you want and borrow it. It's a lending library that's totally free. OK, so this is what's happening with the thyroid. If your thyroid isn't functioning well, then your adrenals are going to try and help out by 
giving this tur you know, like giving little spurts of turbo power. So as we had talked about with um, the adrenal, the adrenal is giving huge, um, a huge uh, sense of different symptoms what people have when they're under adrenal stress. So uh, tired and wired is sort of the, um, they have like, oh, thyroid is fat and frazzled and all of them mean you can't think too clear. But in adrenals, because of this mix of the bat phone and the glucocorticoids is that you might be irritable, you might be rage-filled, you might be accusatory, you might be paranoid, you might be depressed. It can cause all different kinds depending on what the squirt of the these two things together are happening. But one of the biggest problems we're going to have is that the um, this glucocorticoid, remember we were talking about insulin, is going to measure your blood sugar, which is really important. So it's looking as like, do you have enough to get away from this lion? or whatever might be coming after you. So what we see is what I started to tell you last week, why we can't just say, do this for this problem, do that for that problem. A good example was I said, one of the rules of leptin is to try and not eat for five hours before you go to bed. And they're like, yeah, but then you said ghrelin is you have to get a good night's sleep. And if I can't, don't get home and can't eat until seven or nine, then do you mean that I should stay awake until the middle of the night before I go to sleep? No, we have to look at the big picture and find out what works for us. So if they said, well, what would be a good solution? I said, well, you could eat heavy in the middle of the day and just have a snack, more of a snack meal at night. You could say three hours is better than eating right before you go to bed, but you should still be trying to get your sleep. That's the first priority. So when we look at this blood sugar here is that on an adrenal diet, people will say, because you're having such a hard time managing your blood sugar and your adrenals don't know what to do, is that you should eat every two or three hours but then you're trying to manage your blood sugar, which you might need to do if you're really sick, like cancer. That's how I think of it. It's like, if you're really sick, you might need to help manage this. But the more that you feed it, and unless you're very careful about the kind of snack you're having, which should be more, you know, more slower, just helping you through like a diabetic that's on an insulin pump, then I think those are for special occasions. What you really want to do is start to train your body to burn fat, which it won't do when you're under too much stress. So then we have to go to reducing the stressors in your life, which is people would rather have a pill or eat every two hours. Sorry, but that's what the problem is here. So it is something you can do because there's always many things you can do and that's preferable. The problem with eating every two hours is you're gonna keep yourself a sugar burner, you're gonna try and manage it and you'll probably be fat, adipose, insulin fat because we're just not very good at doing that. And if you're micronutrient depleted, which we all are, we're overfueled and undernourished, then you're gonna be hungry for things that you, your, your body says that you need to support the thyroid health, to support your stuff. Okay, so um, the adrenals need lots of vitamin C. The Native Americans, Indians in, in America, they live in grasslands and things. So we humans can't eat grass. You know, we talked about that. Herbivores eat grass. They have bacteria in their big fermenting guts like gorillas and things, and they turn it into fatty acids, and that's what they eat. So they don't have that. They ate a lot of animal products, but they all know that the adrenal glands so we always think you have to eat plant foods to get vitamin C. Um, humans and guinea pigs are like the only animals that don't make their own vitamin C. It's very important antioxidant. But 
cultures over time have figured out things. Scurvy's been described many, many times of other way, you know, ways of getting at what you need. So they don't have the availability of fresh produce all year round, neither do Eskimos. They eat adrenal glands, which are extremely high in vitamin C, which makes sense because it's an antioxidant, so it's making lots of debris and things like that. So it's making a big stink and you have to deodorize it, okay? So it's, uh, it's really working hard with this. So managing your blood sugar is the symptoms of the adrenal problems, is typically people have symptoms that would go along with the blood sugar being unstable and going up or down fast. And unfortunately, it's working with insulin all the time. And insulin's like, I'll take care of that. And it's like, no, I'll take care of that. No, I'll take care of that. So you can't, you can't tear them apart. You have to have an overall plan. So the, um, okay. Cortisol is on a rhythm. So you need some, you can't live without it, okay? It breaks down things, it makes sure that there is some sugar there at all times because you can't become completely hypoglycemic. So it is the bottom line. Now, people feel hypoglycemic. Have you heard this expression? It's like, oh, my blood sugar's low. This is what happens. They feel shaky and uh, sweaty and maybe uh, nauseated, lightheaded. The, what is happening to them is as their blood sugar drops, they're getting a big surge from the adrenals to get the blood sugar back up. Because what happened was insulin being kind of stuck, 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 stuck. The insulin finally took the sugar into the cells and it dropped too fast. And it was dropping too fast and they're going, oh my God, we're going to die. It's going to go to zero. And then the adrenals kick in because it cannot go to zero. It's like having no oxygen. So the symptoms that they're having isn't from low sugar. It's from the kick in of all these other hormones that start breaking your body down. Okay, so when they feel like, oh my God, I'm having lightheaded, you know, feeling like this, my blood sugar is low, I'm gonna eat some sugar and be okay. But they usually aren't okay from eating the sugar. That's more of a placebo. Those symptoms are coming from the adrenaline that is coming out to try and get the blood sugar up as fast as it can. All right, but it only lasts 15 minutes. But it just destroyed a bunch of things to do that. And you're like, oh, thank God I ate that candy bar. The candy bar didn't do it. Okay? The attack of where you have it and the sense that you get better when you eat food, you're going to keep reinforcing that. So we don't want to reinforce that. We want to learn to eat better. So you want to eat a better meal that lasts you till your next meal. Yeah, it doesn't wait. That's the thing. It's the emergency system. So it says if you wait, you could be dead. So it's going to act. So it's going to act like, it's going to act like it's, there's a, an emergency. It doesn't know the difference between a false alarm. Okay. They only know that there's an alarm. It's like when you have a fire drill. You don't know if there's a fire or it's a drill. You just don't know. 
And then the problem is, is that you go, well, it's just a drill because all we ever have is drills, but then what do you do when there's a fire? So you always have to be prepared and that, that alarm is always alarming. So yes, that is exactly what's happening. So what the strategy to do for this is to eat well and not to overstress yourself. And we're going to get to those in just a minute. Okay, so the strategy for the adrenals is that it takes a long time for adrenal recovery. Okay, because it's always gonna act. So it's like picking at a scab. As soon as you make it go off, you're gonna, you've, you've sort of set yourself back to zero again. So as people become adrenally depleted, which is they basically run down, and this is through the sex hormone pathway, and they keep using up all the cortisol and stress hormone, and they stay in chronic stress, the body after 10 days, which is the next thing, so you have fifth, about 16 minutes, 90 minutes, then you have 10 days. 10 days of stress, and your body starts to shut down. It was supposed to just be for an emergency and it doesn't last longer than 10 days. So after that, your gut becomes very thin, your brain layer becomes thin, your memories zone in your head, the hippocampus that is supposed to be telling you about danger says, everything's dangerous, I'm just swollen with all this stuff, please stop bombarding me. It starts to squeeze in and people's, the cells start to suffocate and die. So first it gets big and then it gets small and atrophied. So 10 days of stress is a very bad thing. You don't heal wounds anymore. You uh, lose your sex drive. You, all of these things start to be put on hold. And then for women going through the change of life, they've depleted this and as their ovaries start to not contribute to the three-legged stool where the thyroid and the adrenals should have been taking over, they go, we got nothing. And then there's hell to pay lots of bad symptoms for women are having lots and lots of symptoms at that time. So this blood sugar is very important. So when people talk about like an adrenal diet or adrenal reset, they're going to be saying that a lot of the symptoms that people are doing with is that their blood sugar is unstable and needs to be supported. So you don't need to eat a candy bar. That just sets you up for worse problems because if you eat a candy bar, all right, let's just put this in terms of sugar. Sugar is the adrenal enemy. Gluten is the thyroid enemy. Sugar is the adrenal enemy. If you eat sugar, what we could have gotten in nature when we look back at a diet where you'd have eaten fruits, berries, lots of sugar during the season when it's available is about 20 teaspoons of sugar a year. Now we eat over 50 teaspoons of sugar a day. Our body cannot cope with this amount of sugar. It's just being overwhelmed and it's causing a lot of stress on our adrenals. So the, process, the more processed it is, the worse, and it realize, of course, that starch is sugar, also processed. So this ready availability that turns to sugar in your mouth is really too much of a reliance on these things. So what we're gonna... Sorry, can I just ask a quick question? Um, what about potatoes then? I was just getting ready to say oh. tubers, okay? So starchy tubers, they have more fiber in them. So we looked at uh, whole grain breads and said, okay, there's sugar in it, in the starch, but it has this fiber, and that's insoluble fiber. And some of that is okay, but what we really see that the body likes is to have soluble fiber with some sweet. So putting, so when you eat something sweet, you wanna have fat and fiber with it at the same time. So juice is the devil. It is sugar in a very readily available form. Some people say, well, what is the worst? I'm like, why do we say what's the worst? What does it matter? But probably what the worst is, 
is sweet drinks because they go in so fast. Now, as the blood sugar, now it's being absorbed literally in your mouth because as it's going through, the brain is going, get some insulin in there because that blood sugar is going up really fast. It dumps in way too much insulin. Everything goes in the cell and then it starts to go down just like the roller coaster. So the body isn't measuring the lab test. The body, the, the body is measuring the rate of change. Does, is this making, the body is hating this, this road of homeostasis. So we only have, it seems like, two kinds of people. They don't seem to like this. This is where we should be. That's homeostatic home. So you have people who are like, how do I be perfect health and go right down the middle here? That's ridiculous. You don't need to do that and you shouldn't do that and you have to pay attention to everything. Your body is perfectly capable of keeping you in here and running like a top. It's this crap that's driving, that's stressing us. It's the rate of change. It's like, okay, we're going a little bit too fast. I have to put the brakes on. So it's the brakes and the gas and the brakes and the gas. We want to just run. We want to roll like a Mercedes Benz. We want to like, uh, and have some inertia, you know, just like get going and then just go. And what is that get going and just go? That is the adrenals working optimally, which means when you go to bed at night, cortisol's gone all the way down at its lowest. And then close to daybreak, and it varies from season to season. If you live in the light, as it's getting light, it starts to come up to give you just enough to get you through your day. Just the normal aggravations, just the regular sort of things that you need. So you need to maintain your blood sugar. So it is not bad to have cortisol. It's great. Too much is what's bad and these up and down and these plummets and these poor timing because it's there like say here is your day to day. This is why you feel good today because you have your little morning breakfast of cortisol along with some eggs. It's like Other, the opposite way is like banging on the door, that's right. the bad stuff. Right, and if you had the insulin, like the other things or the exhaustion's going up and your cortisol is high all the time and it's going up and down, it'll wake you up in the middle of the night. And that's why we say the classic is, um, the classic is at 4 a.m. So it is giving you, it's like, I, there's like little knock and you didn't answer and then it just starts banging and it won't stop no matter how much you say, I'm up, I'm up. It's just like, okay, well, maybe tomorrow you'll wake up when I knock, but you don't. So we have to stabilize that blood sugar. That's usually what it is. And that is, could be anything, but a lot of times it's stressful thoughts. Stressful thoughts are real to our brain. So actual real dilemmas and worries can very much influence this. Okay. So, uh, Let's make sure we went through uh, the, the things of the thyroid. Tubers versus gr grasses. Tubers are good unless you're too fat because they're mostly fuel. Are we clear on that from last week? Then they aren't bad. They just are going to not help you be thinner because they're carbs. Does that say in that trace of people who are trying to lose weight should need tubers? Less. Right. And then I think in the very beginning when they're trying to kickstart and they're in insulin re resistance and we're trying to increase their insulin sensitivity, you want to go very low carb, but you don't want to stay very low carb forever. Yeah. Okay. Because if you stay very low carb forever, your thyroid goes, Hey, how long is forever, Teresa? it varies depending on how much body fat and what your genes are. And how do you know if you'll just start to feel crap like hypothyroid? 
you shouldn't probably wait until you feel crap. You should start to see, what if I ate some potatoes? Is it going to make me like food preoccupied and like starving and eat everything in the house? Is my insulin going to act up on me? Yeah. And you're just like, oh, that works for me. Have it with fat. And the adrenal reset diet is basically saying, eat your big meal, you know, eat protein in the morning, mixed heavier meal towards the middle of the day and have a small meal that has some long acting slow carbs, beans or, you know, starchy veg and some fat or things like that. You know, like I had like a sweet potato with a bunch of butter on it the other night, a curry, like a vegetarian curry, lentils, um, just so say that those carbs with the fat that are slower to digest and have fiber, they keep your blood sugar low and slow. It's like banking the fire at night before you go to bed. Oh, that's good. Okay? Yeah. But I'm always the first one to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because everybody's a little bit different. So if you find something that works with you, stick with that. But if it starts not working for you, realize that you might have pushed too far in one direction and it's worth trying. Okay? Iodine, good or bad? Well, I think it's good unless you have Hashimoto's and now there's getting better tests for it, but I would definitely say don't take iodine if you eat gluten, so. I would say generally iodine's good, so sprinkle kelp, eat seaweed, things like that from your food, it's good. Even taking iodine or iodorol, which is iodide and iodine, if you, you know, to make sure you're adequately iodinated is fine, but it's such a common thing with women that you just want to be aware. So that's what I would tell them is, it's good to have iodine, but I wouldn't take it if I was eating gluten because I'm not ready to be well yet. So what is the benefit of iodine? Here's a huge benefit. Iodine is also used, because uh, this is where the estrogen connection is going to come, is extremely important to our ovaries and our breasts. So there is um, a disorder of breasts, so I knew this was my iodine thing, is uh, called fibrocystic breast disease. So you come in and they're like, okay, do this thing where you go around in the circle and feel for lumps. And you know, then I'm an OBGYN and I'm like, uh, I don't know about you, but my whole boob feels like a bag of raisins. So I don't know what this lump thing you're talking about is because it all feels like lumps to me. <laughs> so the first one I felt didn't feel like lumps. I'm like, wow, there's no lumps. Then I was like, I looked and I go, oh, because that's not actually a real boob. That's a bag because I could see the ridge. So there's no lumps in a bag of water or salt water or a bag of silicone. But real breasts feel sort of lumpy and they feel very, very lumpy and tender and sore when you don't have enough iodine. So iodine protects your breasts from the estrogen dominance. So you need adequately iodinated breasts. And now it looks like there's a whole lot of literature coming out. It's, it's quite probably protective against breast cancer as well. So being inadequately iodinated means uh, you're going to have fertility problems because it does the same thing in your ovaries, which gets scarry and that uh, cysty, scarry sort of feeling. So I had this, and because I kept having these lumps, and the way that a doctor has is they can't say any lump. A lump is cancer until proven otherwise. So they can't say, oh, that feels just like a lump. They stick a needle into it. Every time they stick a needle into it, it would bleed, and then I have a calcium deposit. Then my freaking mammogram looks like somebody took a white pen and just put dots all over it. So now I don't have them anymore because if I have one, then they'd just be sticking more needles into me, making more dots. So they're like, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to act as if I have breast cancer every day of my life, which is I'm going to eat a certain, I'm going to be more well because the treatment isn't you cutting my breast off. The treatment is me putting my effort into my wellness. So I just don't have them. I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying I had 
bunch of needles stuck into me and I had a hysterectomy because of all these problems of my own hormone imbalances and nobody had any idea of them, but they create real problems. So, Mm-hmm. Um, and your body just uses what it needs of the vitamin C mm-hmm. and you can excrete the rest. Supposedly. Supposedly. Well, the, yeah, this is what we're told. Uh-huh. Is that the same for iodine if you, you can't excrete? You can. Yes. You, so here's the test for iodine. It's actually really, it makes sense more than most tests, is they give you a big dose of iodine and then they measure your urine and it should have almost the whole dose in it because you shouldn't absorb very much if you're well iodinated. So if you absorbed it, you don't have enough iodine in your body. So it's like, just to use a number, if they put in 10, if you're healthy, then nine comes out. If you put in 10 and five comes out, that means your body really is trying to suck up and it needs more. Okay, so that's the default. So yes, theoretically it should work, but we're using it not in food, so it's unbound. So if you have a leak, you know, all these things could mean too much goes through or not enough. And we're also now just discovering that things need to be paired. So iodine needs to be with selenium, so it's how they work together. And surprise, surprise, in fish, there's all this selenium and iodine. And by the way, that blocks mercury. So even though there's a bunch of mercury in fish, because there's selenium, then the mercury can't be absorbed. So in real food, nature took care of that. Yes, that's awesome. So it's very funny is mercury poisoning is actually selenium deficiency. So it because it affects your selenium and you didn't have enough, we need selenium. So the poison works by unmasking a deficiency. Okay, so freshwater fish would be best. Fresh, either fish is fine, just there's just three or four kinds of fish, like a shark, a tilefish, and a pilot whale or something. It's not something you're going to eat. So generally, you can just eat fish. Any fish that you want, and it has all the good stuff that you would need. But the fish differentiation you'd want to make is wild caught, okay? Because then it's eating seaweed, not trash. Dog food that's been recalled and God only knows what. Um, so. Your day-to-day functionings, you're ready to go. Adrenals can cause all of these symptoms. They wear down over time, and they like to say, oh, I'm in adrenal fatigue or recovery or, you know, what's going up, and they can do this test. But the reality is, is if you just sort of look at the whole stage and realize that your adrenals are going to take longer than anything to recover, that's the thing you basically need to keep in, in, um, in mind for the adrenal. Okay, so once that's burned out, once your battery is dead, you're going to need to walk a lot, you know, it's just not a matter of filling up the fuel tank. You're going to need a new battery and charge it, and you need a new one. So you have to pay for it. So in paying for it, one of the things we can think of is, now we're going to talk about something weird, exercise. This is really important. This is flat tummy mummy. Okay, so... If we're having this problem with adrenal and adrenal support, can you see why it's so important that they learn how to get out of sympathetic into parasympathetic at least some of the time? Then you have a break. So you see why this is so important. They've measured the cortisol, mindfulness, just thinking, and anything mindful, meditation, anything, decreases your cortisol. Movement decreases your cortisol. Exercise makes it worse. 
okay? So can you see why high intensity would help with cortisol? Because it burns it off and you say, okay, we just sprinted, we blew it out and now the turbo's off. We just punched the button and we didn't hold our finger onto it. So we just, you know, blew out the car. It's nice to know we can still run when we need to. You do this and it gets everything going, gets everything pumping around, helps you take out the trash and then you stop that. But if you feel stress reduction from running, so you're a person who gets out and you put your music in and it really feels good, like you were able to let go of the things of the day, then running could be good. But most of the exercise that women are coming when they come to fitness is not, is actually stressful. So what we see, and you have to look, you can't just look at the lab study because they never ask anyone and they never look at anyone, they never go through any of those things is, is it stressful? By definition, exercise is stressful. Okay, that's what it is. It's stressful movement, but it could be a good stress, but it is always stressful because it isn't walking, right? It is not our default. So it is always stressful, but it might give you more benefits than detriments. Does that make sense? Yes. But in a class, do you know where the, where the benefits come from? The community. The benefits come from us all feeling like we're doing the same thing together. So you can do everything just by getting these women out of chronic stress. They don't have to exercise. All they need to know is that they could fit in a little fitness and movement to the course of their day because movement gets everything moving along and metabolize it and your brain doesn't go, oh, you still have a lot of cortisol on board. The lion must be lurking out there because it can't see the lion. It can only read the amount of cortisol that didn't get burned off. So if you keep putting it in, your brain says, oh, okay, well, here, here's some more. I guess there's still threat out there. Does that make sense? This is the long-term problem. Yes. And so the people then that exercise and that say, oh, no, I feel great afterwards. That's just their endorphins. Endorphins, because pain. Yeah. Feeling good of doing something, which is accomplishing something. Some people feel good when they clean the house. Sheila and I are not those people. (laughs) (laughs) But we do feel good when someone else cleans the house. And it did feel good to move and feel like it was done. So that is a good feeling of accomplishing something. But it's more complex than something you can write in an article or a rat that goes through a maze and gets a, you know, nugget at the end. And Trace, you have to do high-intensity training then to get rid of the course. No, any kind of movement gets rid of it. Yep, walking gets rid of it. Now you've changed into, now you've changed into, now you've gunned the adrenals again. So you've gone through the period of time and you're saying the stress is real and the stress is going to be prolonged and we don't know when we're going to be safe. So it's fine. Cortisol just says, okay, don't worry. We got it under control. We'll just keep the cortisol coming. Don't worry about us. Okay. So the brain says, all right, we don't need, we're the, Radio message is going to just keep saying more cortisol, more cortisol, but the brain's not going to keep giving you adrenaline. Mm-hmm. You know, Teresa, if you have these adre- uh, stressful situations throughout the day, do you not need um, to do the level of exercise intensity that equates to how stressed you were and that you thought you had mind? You know the way after the stress of the day feel like a lot. Exercise is good. It's not bad to have stress. We are able to have stress. Exercise is good. 
exercise that is too stressful on someone who has burned out adrenals is going to make their recovery take longer. Chris, it's also gender specific. So men do a lot better with exercise. Men do a lot better with exercise. Right. Right. And that's why men lose weight so much faster by doing exercise and women often don't lose any weight at all. Because complaining and chatting means that somebody cares about you and they'll be there for you. If you listen to me, then I'll listen to you. It's the re another Robert Sapolsky on reciprocity. But we're disconnected. This is the problem. We are. We need to, uh, both genders to raise children. So we're we're dual purposed, okay? So w m men relate well to other men, and they relate well to a woman, okay? Women relate well to other women, and then in general, a man. So you have your mate, who you have a good fit to, but you're, we're not intended to have that good fit with everyone. And the default for that is men want to have sex with everyone, and women should only want to have sex with people they love and they burn out their oxytocin if they have sex with too many people. Because, yes. Because you're supposed to be discriminating enough to make the one fit. And then you hold that. That's how we exist optimally. You never get the men to not want to. And you never. The men are supposed to. No, no, the, the men are supposed to. The men are supposed to want to, and then they get uh, more benefits by being in that. They, they, they trade benefits. There's benefits to the relationship, but, they're, but, they're, but the way we look for a mate is very different. So men would look for a sexual partner that they fall in love with, and women used to look for someone that they would fall in love with to be a sexual partner. When women change the rules for each other and say, we're going to be like men now, and we're just going to look for sexual partners, they burn out their love connection. But men don't, which is really distressing to women, because then they go on to their next family. They can do that. It's just harder for us, unless we burn it out, and then you're like a drug addict, you know, like just a burned out person. They're not really capable of loving like that because it got burned out. Maybe it can recover, like someone who's a cocaine addict. They never, you know, it's joyless. It takes years to build those dopamine receptors back up again after you burn through them all. It, it really does. It can be done. I think anything can be done, but it isn't our natural way. Okay, so we have a way, they have a way of relating to each other that usually involves contests and physical prowess. So exercise has a very different context. For us, there's no need to do that. There was never a culture where women would run around just for the hell of it. No, definitely not. Okay, not to go to work, not to not look, you know, we spend time making, you know, making a home, making orderly place, doing stuff with our kids and doing stuff with other women and looking good. We put a high priority on that, of being attractive. It's very important. When we don't feel attractive, we're in trouble. It's like being weak for men. Okay? Now, um, a smart man once told me there's no ugly women, there's only lazy women, and I think he's probably pretty right about that, is because beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. So when you feel like you look good, you actually do. So Cleopatra was one of the most famous examples. She was like dog ugly. Mm -hmm. But she had all the men she could, you know, she had them doing everything for her because she didn't think she was. She's like Cher, you know. 
<laughs> I mean, you just project that, and that's what makes the difference. So I don't think it's just lazy. I think it's confidence, but it is also caring for yourself. So we have a need to care for ourselves, and we care about having a flat tummy and looking good. So it's stressful to us when we can't make our stomach go down. Does that make sense, too? Okay, so uh, what happened? Oh. She's trying to get in on the group. Okay. So I'm gonna now I'm gonna talk about poisons. And that's where the estrogens come in. Okay, so the huge thing is how do we get around this? And remember I told you that's the heater, is a big problem that we're having right now that's knocking this wheel off is that we live in a, a estrogen dominance. Okay, so estrogen, which is female sex hormone, is supposed to be balanced with progesterone. And in men, they're supposed to have lots of testosterone and a tiny bit of estrogen. Can we start off with that? Yeah. Okay, so women, estrogen, and progesterone, which comes from the adrenals, androgen, so it's sort of like, you know, it's not the girly, it's the girly and the, I, I hate it when people say, you know, the, um, his female side or her male side, because you don't, women don't have a male side and men don't have a female side. That's the difference between the two of them. We have a human side and then we have things that the other one doesn't have. So the part is, that's when we talk about the man's female side, we're actually just talking about his human side, the things that we both share as humans, not the things that he has as women. The things that we have as women are things that make us women. The things that they have that we don't have make them men. And there's differences, our boobs and their balls, and there isn't, we don't have them no matter how you look at it. And you don't need to pretend that you have them. So women don't need to go around grabbing their junk as if they have something. Their package is empty, okay? This needing to be androgynous is not adrenally healthy. So the pressure to be like the other sex is an extremely biologically inappropriate, nasty pressure. And women, as usual, they don't care about winning battles. They only care about winning wars. So it started off, and even though they did it to themselves because the men didn't care, the pressure they feel from having to be like a man and compete at work has come out by women exerting all of their influence over everyone by feminizing men. So they're like, okay, it's too hard to be a man. It's much easier to turn men into women. <laughs> and then we can all compete on the same playing ground. But they're exhausted. This is a huge stress of not feeling like what we do already wasn't important. But it wasn't men who said it wasn't important. We say it to each other. We say, oh, I guess you just sit at home on your ass all day and do nothing. I go to work put papers from one bin into the other. The world would stop tomorrow if I wasn't doing that. Who's taking care of your children? Experts. Experts are taking care of my children. So we say that to each other. So when we get through this, um, this uh, uh, estrogen thing, it's probably one of the most important because it's where we can make a big difference. So I'm gonna use that to talk about the toxins and uh, what happens when things come in and come out and that's the very last part of this. So in estrogen dominance, we have too much estrogen in relation to the progesterone. And a lot of times we just have too much estrogen. Why would we have too much estrogen? Well, first off, let's start about what's coming in. What's coming in 
is a lot through the food because think of estrogen. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to make this, but I'm going to make a I have to explain something. Okay. Pro most people think that there's something you could measure in your blood called estrogen, right? There isn't. Estrogen is a description of an effect certain kinds of chemicals have on the body. Progesterone and testosterone you can measure in your blood. So the name here is androgen. That means masculinizing, okay? Comes from the adrenal gland, makes sense, right? Like adrenaline, right? Yeah. Estrogens, androgens, feminizing, masculinizing. We talk about this all the time like it's something in there. There's all kinds of estrogens yeah. in your body There's three basic kinds. Estradiol comes from our ovaries. Um, estriol, this one comes from, it has to do with the fetus getting growth, so it's, it's just present you know, when you're pregnant. And then this comes from fat tissue, which is why it's important about being fat, because this is called estrone. And you, when you've gone through menopause, the fat stores that are left on your body can make you some estrogen out of those. Okay, these are all estrogens. Now there's a whole bunch of estrogens in the environment too. Estrogens mean, see, remember that receptor? Remember I talked about the reverse T3 and the T3? Is anything that the cell says, oh, you want me to be more girly, that's an estrogen. Okay, and in general, if it makes you be more masculine, it sort of opposes it, but men and women aren't opposite. Are you following me? They're different. So it isn't opposites, but they are, those things are in balance. So this should be called like the fruit, and these are like the banana and the berry. Okay, they're all fruit. Now, environmental estrogens are anything, any chemical that can get into us and create feminizing effects. So what do you think we're wanting to do with animals? What do you think we want to do with a cow? That's a milk cow. Well, we want it to make a lot of milk. So we give it estrogen, that's called BHG. That's just one kind of estrogen because it makes it make a lot of milk, which is a feminizing thing. What would we want to do with the cow that we wanted to eat, a steer? We would want it to make a lot of estrogen so that its meat was juicy and plump and full of fat, like how females are. That's estrogenizing. They grow faster. Who reaches sexual maturity faster? We do. So all of these things that we put estrogens into things are estrogenic, like soy. It promotes things that would make more money for people who are making the food. Chickens laying eggs. You want them to lay more eggs, give them more estrogen. Does this make sense that there's all of these? Now, there's also a bunch of environmental estrogens that they're endocrine disruptors. So they come through and they mess your whole soup up. Like, it's like you were making your soup, you went to the bathroom, you came back, you taste it, and you said, what the hell is in my chili? And someone came and put like rosemary in it or something, which doesn't fit at all. And they said, oh, well, I love rosemary, and I know you did too, so I just threw some in there thinking it would taste so much better. Like, no, thank you. That was not what I had in mind. I was like making my soup, and they're like, well, you know, it's like I just wanted to help. This is what is happening in our body. Lots of these things coming in synthetic, just wanting to help. So unfortunately, 
Many of the estrogens are coming in and the endocrine disruptors and we're finding them out and the worst place they're going to is our breasts, which is, has full of estrogen receptors is they suck it all up from the environment and we're, it's given us cancer there more than anywhere else. So this was a modification of a sweat gland and there, it is so bad that one of the most problematic things I've seen is in the future, I think that they're gonna start lactating women, like running them through so that they can have a cycle of lactation even without a baby, just to sweat out the toxins in their breast. I actually think that's gonna be the best breast cancer preventive because we, the first baby gets the most of those from a bad environment. So women are like, oh, well, I don't wanna give that to my baby, but then they don't look that the cow is getting a more estrogenic horrible environment than they are and they're getting even more toxins because it's just breast milk from a cow so it isn't germs it, you can't pasteurize it out are you following me and then they go well it has bpa from cans and stuff that we sit on from our carpet and i'm like yeah well they deliver that crap to you the formula in the same can and there's even a higher concentration so we're not getting away from it but we need to so the bad part is for us, we could sweat it out, but we're taking in too much. That What we're seeing is even in minuscule amounts, these are staying within us. They're in our urine, they're in our fingernails, they're in our hair, they're in our fat. And um, some of these estrogens that are coming from makeup, shampoo, cleaning products, they are found in much higher percentages of women with breast cancer. So parabens, phthalates, um, I wrote a whole list of them here and I put these down to start seeing them. But the problem let's just say the estrogen problem is the estrogens are ch shutting off the male testosterone and also they're affecting males are turning their testosterone into estrogen because that process is being uh, uh, it's a way of dealing with the toxins remember last week I said if the liver is clogged up the t fat gets toxic okay well estrogen Remember I just said estrogen, your fat will make estrogen. It makes it estrogen in both sexes. And for men, it takes their testosterone and converts it to estrogen. So they get man boobs. And then if they're alcoholic, they really get man boobs. So one of the big things of managing estrogen dominance is, I'm so happy about this, is you need to watch your alcohol intake to take the stretch off your liver, unless you drink red wine, which is full of antioxidants and seems to have a beneficial undoing effect. And one of the other things is to eat lots of cruciferous vegetables, like the cabbage family, cabbages, uh, cauliflower, kale. The, um, they uh, make the, they delay this conversion, so you stay in a, the appropriate form. So I have a list of these, and I can give them, but they're, uh, when you, um, the endogenous estrogens are ones that are in our body that we can't get rid of. So you can also have, so we can get environmental ones that are coming in and they aren't estrogen. They are estrogens, they're called xenoestrogens, which means they aren't the estrogens that would be in our body, but when they're in our body, they act as a, in a feminizing fashion, like an estrogen. So it is a, not a fake estrogen. It's just, we use estrogen in the wrong way. We're not using estrone, estradiol, and estriol. We're not using the specific name like we do for progesterone and testosterone. We're using the action name. So then we call them xenoestrogens, even though they're actually just estrogens. They're just not natural to us. Does that make sense? So they act in that way. So androgens would be steroids that males take, right? So they can take steroids and get 
uh, the athletes, right? Like bumped up, big muscles, masculinizing effect, mm -hmm. right? But after you take too much, it has, it goes over the top. So they get their genitals shrink and things like that. So you can push it too far and then the whole system starts to break down and the same thing happens with Sorry, women. Teresa, is that the steroids that men take to go to the gym? Yeah, to get bulky. All right. Those are androgens. So they're anything that makes you more, and women take them too, yeah. to run faster and, and like that Irish swimmer and things. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have just this last like little bit to go over of the estrogens and how we need to get rid of them. I have something to start looking for toxins in the environment. Um, one of the things to keep in mind is our skin is a carrier, not a barrier. So 60% of the things you put on your skin are actually absorbed in. We're actually looking at things like vitamin D and certain vitamins that they go in much better to be absorbed in your skin because they need to go where the fat is and they stay there for a longer time than if you ingest them. So we need to stop thinking about the things we put on our face, our environment, our breathe in have no effect on us because they do. So what we're breathing in from all of these synthetics we don't even know how they act, except for that they seem to linger. And we have never tested how any of them act with each other. And a label on cosmetics, which are completely unregulated, for example, the label fragrance can have more than 200 chemicals in it, including all of these, phthalates and parabens, all of those can be under there. So these I made a little list there, uh, the, um, uh, typical, so people have to give up what they can give up. They should only do one thing at a time. This is cosmetics is a biggie because you will start to detox if you switch over. Uh, but uh, there's a lot of things in cosmetics, expensive ones and cheap ones uh, that are absorbed. Um, the average woman ha eats about four pounds of lipstick in her lifetime, which is quite a bit. And there's a lot of lead in lipstick and nail polish is basically phthalates because it's melted plastic and it is absorbed right into us. So, oh, shit. Well, <laughs> no, so it's, the thing is, is like, should you not do any of these things? No, but you should just be aware that if you're doing it every day, all day long, and that the number of products, so when you're putting shampoos and conditioners and different ones and what you're spraying under your arms, which is the thinnest, you know, all of these things right into the boob, right where that lymph node is. So it is these, um, and the antiperspirants have aluminum in them, which are, go right to your brain and contribute to Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, nonstick pots and pans where they scratch, those things are going in, what's underneath of carpets, things that we're cleaning. Like I said, the bleach in the toilet is we inhale that. Um, and we inhale it from a swimming pool and we go, but you're not going to get rid of all of these and we don't need to. If we just start realizing it's there, just make priorities and try not to take too many in. Like um, I had a friend of mine, she's redhead and, I, and she is, uh, she's celiac and she works for Mary Kay. And I'm like, you need to develop your own line of makeup and just call it, I can live without bread, but I can't live without mascara. And I said, that's all you need to call it. Because if you're bad, you will have a reaction even from and gluten is in most, a lot of cosmetics because it helps glue it together. Gluten has gluing pro properties to it. So if you're not celiac, it's not a problem. But if you're that bad or you have Hashimoto's thyroiditis, you don't want any gluten in your system that could kick this up. So it's important for them. For the rest of us, moderation or lessening or being aware. 
So the biggies are going to be the cleaning products and the personal care products because they interact with our body the most. This is what we're seeing, and the containers. Microwaving, paper, plastic, all of those things, more chemicals are going in the laundry stream. So we want inert containers, tin foil, glass, stainless steel, ceramic, all of those things there, you know, keep stuff in old-fashioned kind of containers because plastic leaches stuff that we we can't get rid of we can't get rid of it and it eventually ends up getting out so what happens with estrogen it's very hard to get rid of it seems to accumulate in our body right so it absorbs in our it, it accumulates in our body like there's this place out in the pacific ocean where it's like miles and miles wide and it just has a bunch of plastic bottles in it or something so they can't get rid of the ocean can't get rid of it. it it can't break it down so it's all kind of gathered in one place and it's staying in our body and we just don't know what the effect is and the effect is not going to be the same on everyone so drinking out of plastic bottles as well you're drinking out of plastic bottles is another bad thing habit that we've picked up because one we said well you need to be hydrated well one of the reasons you need to be hydrated is just to rinse out the poison so you don't need to drink all that as I said if we needed a bottle we would have been born with one on the side of our hand or we would have been a camel's hump so we don't need to drink like this we need to because we're toxic and we're trying to help rinse and flush but drinking out of plastic bottles did way more damage than it did good and of course people say I don't have money for frickin food and they spend dollars and dollars on their bottled water every day that could be towards their food uh, you know people go around with a, a water bottle practically hooked to their hip when I went to my singing started singing the first thing my voice teacher said is you are not to bring that into the room because you might not you can't take it into the opera onto the stage with you so you don't train yourself to need to run off and wet your mouth mm. it's called saliva mm. your body has it. it makes quartz over the course of a day so when you rinse you're diluting it yeah. and it's of course very bad I already went over this to drink water with your food because you're diluting your digestive juices so water's good in between, but it's not necessarily necessary if you're eating the right diet, okay? Um, so here we go, like I said, this thing is like iodine, it's probably good, unless you're doing something bad. Goitrogens are cruciferous vegetables. Remember I just said this about this, and it was like, oh, you have to watch how much you eat of those because they can damage your thyroid. Looks like that's not really true. The only people that ever would damage thyroid is that 3% that have hypothyroidism from non Hashimoto's anyway and as long as you cooked it it was fine and the benefits far outweigh the risk so we're in this situation again about not eating fish because of the mercury when it has so many more good things so eat away those goitrogenish <laughs> vegetables and make sure that you're getting iodine from some salt uh, source if you're not having iodized salt then you're uh, shaking some kelp or having you know eating seaweed or things like that that would have a natural source of iodine in it um, eating plenty of fiber, the, especially insoluble fiber, is really good because it pulls, it binds to the estrogens and pulls them out of your body. So what happens is estrogens are used in bile salts. Bile is squirted by your liver and your gallbladder to break down fats, and it um, binds all up, and then it breaks apart and comes back and is recycled again. So we're getting this sludgy bile that's causing gallstones. One of the things people know about gallstones as doctors is we used to call them fat, fair, female 40s, and the reason why is because of this estrogen dominance. 
So if you have estrogen dominance, your bile gets sludgy and toxic and bad. And you can you know, create all kinds of problems like we're getting with the thyroid being low as you, the engine isn't working so you get constipated is a very common problem. And when things aren't moving along, bad stuff gets absorbed back in. It recycles because it needs this stuff from the bile salts, particularly cholesterol. So cholesterol is very good for you. All of these hormones are, you know, your vitamin D, your steroids, your sex hormones, they're all based on cholesterol. So if you don't have it, your um, myelin sheaths that surround your nerves are three quarters fat and a quarter of that is cholesterol. Your brain is a quarter cholesterol. I mean, we need cholesterol. Statin drugs are really bad, particularly for women. Women, there's no benefit whatsoever, so we don't ever need to take them. And for men, the benefit has only seems to be in ones who've already had a cardiac event, and then it doesn't seem to be related to the cholesterol at all. It's, a, it's more related to the anti-inflammatory effect of a statin drug. So a lot of people are on these, and there are a lot of money. It's big business, and then the doctors are all coming. We've got to do something about that cholesterol. But the cholesterol is just the fire engines at the fire. It's not the fire. So it is just telling you that we can see this. Cholesterol is the first thing, it's the balm on the burn. So when you have inflammation, cholesterol lays that down and then the scar pulls in collagen and calcium and other things and makes the Band-Aid. And if the Band-Aid frays and gets looser, you put too many Band-Aids on it, you could block. But it isn't the ointment, it's the just part, of the Band-Aid is what's causing the problem, but you can measure the cholesterol. Another real problem with cholesterol people have is that they've gone to these, um, the polyunsaturated oils, the vegetable seed oils. Remember I talked about the uh, membranes being loose and fluid? The membrane's too loose and fluid. Cholesterol is what gives form to the membrane and can make those specific shapes. So if you have diet that's too high in these formless fluid things and you're not a fish living under the ocean, then your body is gonna pull cholesterol in and make it look like, so when they say, oh, don't eat saturated fats, eat this. But what happens is the cell then takes in all of these floppy fluid things and to balance it out, the cholesterol is pulled from your blood into the cell membrane. So you actually have more cholesterol in your body just less in your blood test. Does that make sense too? It's just craziness. And people just care about the test. You don't need most of these tests. When people are really having problems and they're not getting well by using basic wellness principles, tests can be very helpful. But in general, wellness is the best thing for everyone. So what is going in? This is what we look like. you are when you stop doing something and you go back to it and you realize how well you were when you stopped. When you stopped, I agree. The elimination and re-challenge. Yeah, exactly, like the wheat and the gluten. Right. Yes, well, people think they're being well right now. Teresa, can I just ask, can you say, um, so you need the cholesterol, that if you suck it back into your cells to add more structure because it's actually getting too fluid with yeah, so it's like it takes in these fake, these polyunsat, these fit, the things that would help a fish be fluid underwater. So the membrane gets too fluid and floppy. So to balance it out, it has like 25 things in it. But when you make it too fluid, you have to, like, if the sauce got too loose, you have to throw some flour, you know, something to thicken it up again. Because you made a mistake and it broke down. The emulsion broke, and you have to add something back in. So you wouldn't have, now you have too much cholesterol and too much 
omega-6, but there was nowhere else for it to go. Because we don't have enough good saturated fats. No, it's it. They actually don't. But you, the overall effect is you get a stiff, a a, a non-supple. It doesn't work. So it's I shouldn't have said stiff. Is I said it's like a board. It just doesn't work. It can't form. It can't form a receptor and then let it go. It's actually formless. Okay, so it's like an egg that is, like an old egg, you know, the white, you know, after they're weeks and weeks old, the white, you put it down and it just spreads, right? What you want it to be is like the fresh egg where it's like a gel, but not a fried egg. That would be stiff. So it isn't that it's stiff. Stiff is what happens with the trans fats. Okay, so a saturated, natural saturated fat is going to give you like the egg, but a trans fat, which is hydrogenated vegetable seed oil, is going to give you stiff. And that's what's in, those trans fats are what's in the, like fried food, because they send it to you in a big chunk and you put the, and then you melt it. It's not in a glug glug, it's in solid. Margarine. That's the worst. So remember I said that was the exception to the refrigerator rule? Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it's fake solid. So um, I think that we went through everything here that we needed to. I just want to mention at the very end, like this pregnolone steel, because you might hear about it, and it's pretty cool. And so Connor's here, so he, you know, that's the one little male thing, is, is that you have cholesterol, and it's made into um, pregnolone, which is made into progesterone. Which is made into cortisol. This is called doctor handwriting. Isn't that nice? Okay, and then this is goes here to make testosterone and estrogen. Okay, so here's your sex hormone. When you need more of this, it goes up here and it takes this down that path. Okay, so the last thing would be um, artificial hormones, birth control pills, and hormone replacement therapy. Boo. <laughs> so right now it's like they looked good for a while, but I think that the you know we're finding out more things of like the effect that it has on your body, and there's just better alternatives till we find. It's not better alternative to get pregnant when you don't want to be pregnant. However, oral contraceptive pills are not are not completely safe. So we have to look at what they're doing to our body and maybe nutritionally support, you know, replenish things that might be being they depleted. They, by, absolutely, that's exactly what they are. Yeah. Okay. So it isn't about not having a period or having a period. It's about these things are regulated in your body and when you throw another hormone, it's the same as putting in thyroid hormone or steroids. Yeah a steroid inhaler or something is you're messing up your three-legged stool yeah i would think of it like in my head like you've got test tubes and there's like a tube going into all of them like a little filler and like you know in the pill the way there's like you can get a pill that's more progesterone depending on what you need Mm -hmm. so like that goes in but then all of the other test tubes they go down because you're not making it anymore. It really messes up. They go, oh, that's taken care of. And it's not the real one either. So they don't know how much more to make 
or we don't know if the feedback, the message that's given is like, I don't know, it looks like, uh, it looks like this, but I'm not sure. So your body go, well, if you're not sure, I'm just going to make some more. And the other one go like, oh, we're grand then. Forget about it. So your body might do different things. And this is what's going to mess up all the tests. But for men, as they go down, this is a very, very important pathway of how their stress is causing this uh, loss of androgens. And then for women, when they hit menopause, they are saying, okay, I need estrogen. That's what hormone replacement therapy is because they're having the symptoms of their estrogen dropping from their ovaries, but they are still in estrogen dominance. They, what they have is not enough progesterone to balance it out. And so they put it in, which takes away those symptoms, like the hypoglycemia of the rapid drop, but they are adding estrogen dominance to a problem. That's already what the problem is. And the reason they don't have progesterone isn't because they don't have progesterone. So then you have Suzanne Summer there saying, put progesterone cream on, our bioidentical hormones. No, the reason why is cortisol is stealing it. You either don't have enough cholesterol to get started or you're in chronic stress and the cortisol is pulling all of it so it can't stay progesterone anymore and balance out the estrogen. And your thyroids and adrenals are not ready to take the baton pass, as I've called because there's stress from fertility. So the years that you're fertile for women is though the extra that you had from the estrogen was for growth and things. You're not supposed to need that once you don't have fertility anymore. So we shouldn't be suffering from the loss of this and it really shouldn't be aging us either. Where our aging is coming from the environmental things, the bad estrogens that are, that are being uh, uh, incorporated and influencing us. Okay, any questions, more questions? It's so big, just like last time. It's just a huge topic that you could take whole courses on each of these. And there's just thousands and thousands of, of um, but I guess what I want to know is from you, do you feel like this is something that you could repeat to women now? Do you feel like you understand better about why they should about stress in general and things in a way that you understand, not just a fact that I told yeah. you? No, for Sheila. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, then we've accomplished it. How do you feel, Sheila? I could listen to this again tomorrow, Teresa, <laughs> and maybe get a little bit more from it. So, so just feel like you were listening really hard and there was just a whole lot yeah, to try and... Yeah, you know, Teresa, yeah, and there's a lot of stuff in there that, you know... But it's, but it's, it's really the, not the stuff. It's, it's the, the big picture yeah, of the stuff. It's the first time I've heard all of this. Right. So I could listen to this again tomorrow right. and get more from it. We don't want to feel like I put the fruit in along the path to just keep yes. attracting you to move yes. along. Yes. So as I go from one to the other, see, I, I feel like then we get more and more along this is the details is not, it's not about being perfect. It's about, can I think this through and can I help somebody else with it in a more general sense? That's the point. I know, Teresa, I'm sorry. I know I asked very silly questions, but it's, it's No, your questions are very, like, very, very good questions. If and I don't feel like I understand it perfectly, then I feel I can't explain to somebody else confidently. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, anyway, I get what you're that's saying. That's why I have to... Yes, I do understand so that. So you need to feel like you've collected all the pieces before you have yeah. it, which is one of the reasons the pieces are there. Just don't lose the piece. Don't lose no. the big picture for no, the pieces. That's why I said I want you to go through and say... Okay, she's like, I remember generally some of these. So she has the concept. Yeah. 
which is enough to explain it to someone. And say so you could, you know, look it up, or I'll ask Teresa or whatever. But even going through, she it's got like it the Hashimoto's the metal, and Teresa's like, no, 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 come back. That's not right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I know the key points that um, are the home hitters for people. Do you know what kind of the really hit home, like what they need to listen to? Pedal to the metal is really good. You need to understand when you're doing pedal to the metal is you're just sprinting. And if it took you, if you can go like half a mile before I stop you, you've taken, you've gone farther off direction than if you went three steps. Mm. But the sprint is good. It's just the sprint takes you in angle wise. If you're not on track, you're already off track farther. Yeah. You're not just wandering around. Like I'm like, oh, over here, you're gone. Yeah. That's fine. So then I have to say, come back, sprint that way now. I want you to sprint each time. Yeah. And I don't want you to just go and never come back. But right. I want you to go and never come back because you're a man. You're a man. So it does. <laughs> well, I mean, I do want you to come back, but I want you to go all the way out there before you come back. <laughs> Scout, tell me what the terrain is like out there. But no, I love, love, love. Roshin, your questions are always really, really good. Yeah, probably over the top. <laughs> no, they're not. Okay. And they're very specific. And they were very applicable. So like yeah. the, tubers, the tubers more and the questions. more questions. More I questions. love the questions. The tubers and the grasses is very important. Yeah. And then the big difference is going to be between them is one has a lot more soluble fiber and one has a lot more insoluble fiber. So are we good that fiber is good? Yeah. And the insoluble fiber isn't necessarily bad, but too much can be bad, and it's not as good as the soluble fiber. Because it can sweep and pull stool along, which would be good for getting rid of the estrogen, but it's not feeding your good gut bacteria. And by the way, I didn't say this, but it should go without saying, none of these work well if you have gut dysbiosis. Okay, so uh, the, like a quarter of our conversion of T4 to T3 occurs in the gut, so if you have poor gut bacteria, that doesn't even happen at all. Um, the estrogen won't get absorbed. You will have micronutrient deficiencies, so you don't have support for the adrenals or the thyroid. And if you go and look this up, they will tell you 50 different supplements. Mm. So did you read my little, did you read my little thing of the thing? No, no, that's fine. But my point is that supplements is, you know, I said as we went through is uh, I wanted to hurry along Mother Nature for my fruit trees that I made. So I went to the, you know, I went to the nursery store and got the fertilizer and my apple tree grew fantastically because it's supposed to help with growth, but it didn't make any fruit at all. <laughs> so no, but that's what supplements do. They may make growth, but they don't necessarily give you what you want to have. Absolutely. Well put. Yeah. That's what steroids do. Yes. Okay, no. um, all show, no go. Yeah. So, Teresa, honestly, like, I think about this all the time. Like, with people's fertility getting worse and worse progressively as the years go on. We're all going to die. Just hang on a second. And now with, like, there's so many people of my age anyways taking the birth control pills. Like, what's the story with people with their eating the way they are now and taking the birth control pills, are they just really setting themselves up to die soon? No. 
And here's the thing about birth control pills that has happened even when we first started using them. Birth control pills, before they were birth control pills, were used to help women who had hormonal imbalances and had abnormal periods. Either they didn't bleed or they bled too much, so it was to regulate their periods. Mm -hmm. So we would put those women on birth control pills to regulate their periods. And then they found that a side effect of that was they never got pregnant while they were taking them. Then it started to be used primarily as a contraceptive and not to regulate periods. But do you understand it never regulated the periods? It's yeah. not the river, it's the plumbing, mm -hmm. okay? So it, it doesn't tell you anything about the river or the reservoir. You just, turn, you just turn the valve off and on. And so what we're seeing with oral contraceptives is you go, well, my periods were regular for years. And I'm like, what well, were you on the pill? Because your period will be regular, like basically even if you're a man, like it just induces. What happens when you take, do we have a moment? Yeah. Okay, this is like, this is how the pill works. Inside your uterus, you have muscles, these muscular layer, right? Okay, so remember I told you it's like a, a um, light bulb? Yeah. Right, and see, if you looked in with the speculum, you would just see that part, and then this part is the muscular part that can grow, and that's the cervix, so if you put your finger up, you could go like this, and it feels like your nose with a dot in it. Okay, but that dot is really teeny, so if you do a pap smear and you stick that little brush that's smaller than a mascara brush in there, it cramps really, really badly. Yeah. So it, the cervix doesn't like to be dilated, it's closed, that's this. So the only thing small enough to fit up there regularly is sperm. Semen doesn't go up there. So m women think, oh, semen goes up here. No, all the semen just is the bus that carries the sperm up to the auditorium door, and then it has to find their way through to the stage. Okay, so the only thing going in, so I got this letter yesterday. What's the stuff that comes out of me the day after I have sex? Oh, this was my letter yesterday. <laughs> no, I get these, it's like, that is the bus coming back to the garage with no people in it. <laughs> only sperm goes up. All right, so, and then in, when you have your period, it opens up a little bit from hormones. So then that's like after the concert's over, then all the doors open and everyone can leave at the same time. So this everyone can leave at the same time is very important because inside your uterus, what happens each month is here you have your ovaries, right? They're tiny, okay? They're, uh, they're just a little bit bigger than, they're like this, like an almond, a big almond with a shell. Okay, about that size. So if you feel on the outside, you can't really feel it. You have to go like this and it sort of slips between your fingers. The uterus is about the size of, uterus has never had a baby, it's about the size of a pear or a light bulb. So just to kind of give you a sense of how big everything is. So I've made these kind of bigger. What happens is we have billion, just so many eggs. So each month when the hormones start, then a bunch of eggs, it's like a bunch of, you know, the eggs from the grocery store. You start off with dozens and dozens. And then it's the only mechanism regularly in the body. Remember I told you about the negative feedback, the thermostat that goes up. This one is different. This is the race that there's only gonna be one winner. So it's like you're putting money on the winner. So there's this race, like Tour de France that takes days. And it's like, okay, well, I'm putting my money on this one because they're in the lead. At the end, there's gonna be one 
winner and the body starts to put resources on the one it thinks is going to be the winner. So it is a feed forward instead of a feedback. So it's like, I don't want the thermostat to drop back down. I want it to go to a million and blow the top off the house. Are you following me? So what's happening is a bunch of eggs start, okay? And then under the hormones, they all start getting bigger. And then when they call like you have an ovarian cyst, that's when they keep getting bit. They don't shrink as they should when only there's one winner. When you fall off and you're a loser, you're supposed to get off the dance floor. Like when they do those dance contests, they tap on you like you're out. No, no, I didn't stop. Out, out, out. Get off the dance floor. Only the, there can be only one at the end. And so the one is going to come in here. Okay. Sometimes there's one over here. Then you have twins. Okay. And sometimes one comes in here and it divides in half and then you have identical twins. So that's the difference between twins. Like egg from each side. This is what you inherit. This is why people who have twins, if they have identical twins, it doesn't run in the family. All you inherit is a tendency to make eggs on both sides. And by the way, interestingly enough, it comes through the father, not through the mother. So anyway, it's a, it's a, a tendency that we have the, to, make two, to make an egg on each side. So certain culture populations and things like that, it's just genetic. So if my dad had twins in, running in his family, and I shouldn't have said that. Is it has to come through the woman? I said that the wrong way. Oh, okay, right. Right. So it's the you can only inherit the ability to do. So it runs along like how many eggs you make. So you inherit it from your mother. Okay. So and you inherit it from your gene population of where you come from. Okay. Okay. So and as you get older, it happens more commonly. But that's because we actually don't have good surveillance. So it's a breakdown of only making one winner. You know, as we get older, we are a lot more tolerant of like, oh, let this one have some and this one have some. Yeah. So you just have a tendency, the older you get, the more these fraternal twins come. So what happens here, and this is what happens with birth control pills, is that there is this layer, and the hormones grow grass, okay? So you have short grass. Are you following me? This is like a well-manicured lawn. This is how you should look after you have your period, after everyone leaves the auditorium. It's cleaned, okay? Then, as the hormones start to act here, this grass starts to get very long. Okay, so it's all bushy. It's very long like that. Okay, so it's very lush, long grass. The fertile egg gets fertilized in the tube, not here. It gets fertilized here. The fertilized egg comes in and it lands in the grass. Mm -hmm. So if there is no bushy grass like this, the egg rolls out. <laughs> okay, so it's trapped in this grass. If the egg doesn't get trapped in that grass, then the concert ends and the hormones cut the grass all at one level. And now you have short glass again. That's your period. Right leaving short grass. So what happens with the oral contraceptive people say is like I was bleeding all the time. They, they are not bleeding from the grass, they are bleeding from a bare spot. So if... Um, Teresa, the grass aren't fall, are they follicles? No, nope, it's just, it's just, it's endometrium it's called. It's just, it's just fluffy stuff that makes it not like regular blood. It's like strands of fibrin and it's stuff. But it's not much. I mean, we're talking about a couple, it looks like a lot, but it isn't a lot. I mean, so 
what we want to do is have it come down and not, not, and just be short, all manicured, right? But you don't want like your fingernails, like you cut it down to this part, but you don't want to cut into your finger. Yeah. It hurts. So if your oral contraceptives are making you have really short grass, this is how it works. Because I used to think it worked on the egg. This is what it does. It makes this grass really short, so the egg always rolls out. Okay, but sometimes it just gets bare. And then when it's bare, there's dirt showing. And when there's dirt showing, you bleed from an open wound. So that's the spotting, because there's no grass. There's just a dirt patch making dirt. Speaking of which, there's like one of the big courses of dirt is I did say is about the shoes coming in. So shoes off in the house is one of the easiest and best things that you can start to do because we're tracking in other stuff. I should, I didn't write that down on my notes, but I didn't want to forget that. I'd said it for here and then I went and looked up a bunch of articles. So, <laughs> um, so this is what happens with the oral contraceptives, but you see, you're not going through the normal cycle and you're not having a period. What you're doing is hormonally creating. It's like no one goes to the concert, but you're still paying the maintenance crew to come in and clean it up. And they're like, okay, but there's no mess. <laughs> Nobody's coming. We'll just do a clean, but there's nothing really to be cleaned. By the way, you cleaned beautifully yesterday. Oh, thank you. It just looks fantastic. I noticed immediately when I came in. I don't know what it was, but it's just all looks, it looked really nice. So, um, so that's how that works. And if you get pregnant, then that's how that works. And then the place where the egg came out of, this is called the corpus luteum. So it actually, makes hormones, mostly progesterone, like the one that adrenals does, and it helps the first few weeks during the implantation to support the growing baby until there's a placenta that attaches to the mother's circulation. Okay, so that, gr that group of cells that's growing is, doesn't, it, it's just being nourished like a tumor. If they, if they get this spotting in between yeah. where they're breaking through, breakthrough breaking, which is their period, they're not having any periods. No. You don't have a period no. when you're on, you don't have a period when you're on the pill. You're having cleaning crew come in and extricate your uterine lining and there was never a concert. Yeah, I okay, it's like, okay, so I mean, just like, it is, so it gives the impression. So here's what's happening, Ash, is then people will go, I have had regular periods for years. Yeah. And I'm like, they're saying, we have a concert every month. You're like, you've never freaking had a concert. You might put up playbills. I went there. It's empty. The only people who are going in there is the cleaning crew. Yeah. That doesn't mean there was a concert. Yeah. So then they go, it's like, well, I know that we can run concerts because we've been running concerts every month for years. And like, you've never run a concert. Yeah. So they stop the pill and they go, no, I can't get pregnant. And they're like, no band came this month. It's like, well, you didn't book one. You didn't do anything. Well, one just comes. One has come every month for the last five years. And I'm like, no, no band ever came. That was just the cleaning crew. Just because you got a bill doesn't mean the band was there. Teresa, can I ask just because everyone asks me and I go get off the pill, they're like, how about the copper foil? Is that like... They're all... Look... All things you weigh one versus the other. Yeah. Okay, so I'm not saying that the pill is bad. It's a choice. 
So people say, this one is the best, and this one is the best. But I will tell you that the only fight that I ever had for a grade in my whole life was I went in because I had to take my OBGYN final exam, and I had 100. I had not lost a point. So I was going to win the award, and I hadn't lost a point. And the doctor that did my oral test gave me a situation where a girl went off to college and he said, so she's going off to college and her mother brought her in and what kind of pill are you going to put her on? And I'm like, well, what did she ask me for? He, she said, she didn't ask you for anything. And I said, well, I wouldn't be putting her on the pill. I would tell her to use condoms. And then his next question is, okay, so when your pregnant college student comes back and I got so mad. And he's like, well, you have no right. You have to protect her. I'm like, well, she's going off to college. And when you put her on the pill, then you're, you're basically telling her she should be having sex with everyone because she's protected all the time. And you have not protected her from venereal diseases at all, which is the biggest problem she'll have. And you just put her on this without even talking to her, without even saying, would you do this? Without even saying, is it worth an extra step? And he said, well, you're just wrong. So then he gave me a 90 on my test and I wouldn't drop it, wouldn't drop it at all. I wouldn't drop it even after they changed the grade. I just went and kept saying I'm, he needs to retire. Then three months later I went to UVA <laughs> with that fresh under my belt and they had a special form there for tubal ligations <laughs> where it said, you know, that's like get your tubes tied after the baby was born. And the husband in the state of Virginia has to sign it or you can't have it. And I actually wrote, not relevant. And they go, why did you write this? And I said, because it's probably bad manners to write not fucking relevant. <laughs> and they went and it's like, well, this is the law. And I said, well, the governor's Doug Wilder. And I wrote him a letter and said, you know, I understand you're the first black governor, and I applaud that you have that blacks have made more strides than women. But we are not living in the 20th century if you are saying that women can't have her tubes tied unless her husband says she's allowed to. And if the man wants to do this act to me, did the women? No, 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 no. Oh. But they, you know, he might want more children. How do you know that vasectomy? He got you. So it's all cool, you know, it's all related. Anyways, I think that really bad things are going to come out of the pill. I just have a feeling. But Trace is sure that I, the I don't think it's around at all. And it stops all the bleeding and all the rest of it. Surely that can't be good for your body. That you're, you're supposed to do that every month. Well, it just gives them a false impression that everything was fine, when maybe everything wasn't fine. Now, do you want to know about the IUD? Yes. Okay, here's how the IUD no, works. As long as it's there. Like, no. Okay, here's how the IUD works. Okay, so the copper coil is up here. Yeah. Okay? So, here is what people will tell you, yeah. is that, like one of the risk factors they say is that you get more tubal, just a second, right, you do get more heavy periods, and I'll explain why. You get more tubal pregnancies, but you don't. What you do is it protects 100%, you are close to 100% for intrauterine pregnancies, and it doesn't protect at all for tubal pregnancies, but the pill does protect for tubal pregnancies. So you don't, it doesn't happen, you don't get, the, because of the 
alteration in the amount of fertilization is the pill protects against barrier and pill methods don't uh, start to grow here. So you have a certain percentage, like just say is like um, three in a thousand women will have an ectopic out of their pregnancy. It's actually higher than that. Is that they, the, the rate is almost, the, it's just a little bit less for an IUD than it is for using nothing but it protects as well as anything else or better for intrauterine pregnancy. So you don't have any more children because this can never, ever, ever result in a live birth. No, no, it can't. This is, it can't grow here. There's never gonna be a placenta. There's no way this will, it will, it will, the, the conceptus, the ball of cells in this very beginning where the progesterone is doing it, it grows to a size and it's just gonna rupture the tube. Mm -hmm. The tube is finite size and it will explode. So it is it, it used to mean a death sentence for women to have an ectopic pregnancy yeah. because it, there was nothing to do, there was no surgery, it would grow to a certain size, it would explode and they would bleed to death. Yeah. So that was it, that end of story. So it isn't common. Now, what happened with IUDs? that they have this bad rap. This is what happened. IUD has a little string. Remember I said the sperm can go up, but only during your period does yeah. stuff come down? Okay, so there's this little string, and that little string is like the burglar coming up and leaving something in the lock so that after the place is closed, you come up and the door is still open. So that little string hanging down means bacteria can come up. And two things happened is one, bacteria can come up and get into this sterile environment because now you put like a little thing in the door so it's not really locked shut anymore because the string's keeping it open. Are you with me so far? And then you put women in this situation of basically more promiscuity or they chose that because they didn't want to, they, it, it, they have a lot more likelihood of having multiple partners. They were a different demographic. Okay, so they were exposed to many more venereal diseases, which were some of the worst to be able to climb up. Yeah. So they would get, it would come up because just when you get like infection of your skin, this swells mm -hmm. shut and then this fills up instead of with this grass here, it fills up with infection, bacteria, pus and things like that. And then it comes out the tube here because this is open, right? and it infects the whole abdominal cavity. So there were some very, very sick women and their uterus basically is destroyed, eaten by the infection by the time you get in there. So they lost their fertility, their tubes were scarred because they, they, this is very narrow here, like I said. So if you get infection in there, it might close and then you can't get pregnant through, through that side. So the I think that the IUD got a bad rap. So I also did a lot more of those than most people did because they said, well, there's a, and I'm like, those were just lawsuits. And you're still saying you're going to need contraception. Not any one of them is perfect. That's what we know. None of them are perfect. But we know one other thing is that there isn't a form of contraception that's as dangerous as pregnancy. As hard as that is to, you know, we have to also swallow that. So at no point during a pregnancy, you know, that's, those are the relevant facts, no matter what people decide to do. At no point in a pregnancy is not ending the pregnancy, including before it's safer than continuing the pregnancy for the mother, obviously not for the baby. Abortion is dangerous? No, abortion is less dangerous than the pregnancy. Oh, sorry. No form of abortion. So not first trimet, not the morning after, but none of those are, because birth is really associated with a lot of 
things that could go wrong. But mostly it goes okay, but sometimes it doesn't go okay and it can go very badly when it doesn't go okay. So it's just, we're always balancing. And you have to be realistic and saying, what am I looking at? We tend to look at it as like, I don't want to do that and forget you would have had to go down your choice left another choice. So you don't decide not to have anything. I just like, I want to be safe. Like I'm not going to eat fish because I'd rather just be safe and know there's no mercury. And I'm like, okay, well there's no brain. Does that feel good? You made a choice of no mercury, but at the same time you gave no building blocks to your child. So you can't act as if one decision doesn't mean you made the other decision too. That's what life is all about. And that's kind of where you get stuck in thinking that's the perfect thing of like I just want to do the right thing as if you're not making a decision where you're weighing risks and benefits of the two and that's fine we have lots of reservoir built in but it doesn't change the way people feel about it it just still is there whether you feel that way about it or not but that's your tendency of looking at information is I want to just do the right thing well you're deciding between two things and there isn't going to be you know, you don't get the prize in one box and nothing in the other box. Or the, the bomb in one box and safe going in the other box. There's just two things and you don't even know now which one's going to be more used to you in the future. So you just make an educated guess. You go, well, if I want a car, I'm going to choose the big box and hope that there's a car in it because I damn well know there isn't a car in that cabinet that's going to drive me around. It might be that if somebody says it's a car and I open it up, it's one of those little matchbox ones. Yeah, I mean, so you can make educated guesses, but that's the best that we can do. And wellness is completely different. So we aren't needing to do that. We're just saying, forget all of those things in general, just make decisions to be well. And that's what I wanted these talks to be about, being well, not about how to manage your insulin on a moment to moment basis but that all of these work together and your body has a system that it's trying to make work in the world and your world is what's screwed up. So you don't need to change your body. You need to change the system of where your body lives. Absolutely. Why do you have your periods? When you have the IUD? Because your um, body trying to get rid of the IUD. Yes, a little bit, but that... But the big thing that you get heavier periods from the IUD is, is that it can't cramp down completely. Wow. So underneath the, when this happens, there's actually, there's little uh, blood vessels like this. Okay, and when it's stretched apart like by a fibroid tumor, when the uterus is not clamped down as hard as it can be, same thing happens after you have a baby. When it clamps down as hard as it can be, those are closed off just by like a hose that you hold your finger over. So the IUD stretches the uterus out a tiny bit and opens these holes a little bit. And it's an irritant. So when you're cramping during your period, it touches it and that makes it stop doing that. And then the, you have more flow. But it's still not bad flow or we wouldn't do it. I mean, it, it seems like bad flow. flow. It's just, yeah, it's yeah, it's a real period. period.